You're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. This is Death Rattle Aaron, uh, bringing a special bonus review for you guys of the Poltergeist trilogy. Now you're probably wondering why, uh, you know, of all things, we're going to be reviewing the Poltergeist trilogy. Seems kind of random, but uh, long story short, a few weeks ago I wanted to try to do uh, a solo recording uh, of the whole trilogy, and uh, it didn't work out too well. At the time, I was, you know. I was watching Poltergeist two and three, so I figured, oh, why not? Why not take some notes and you know, try to do the whole trilogy by myself, you know, just to try it out and dabble with recording and audacity and editing and all that. That was a fucking disaster too. But uh, you know, it's it's it sucked. I recorded a review of the first one. Uh, you know, I got rid of it. I was like, no. Sat on my notes for a little while. Wanted to do something with it, so I put the call out on Facebook and. Uh, the two gentlemen joining me today were the first to respond. Uh, the first is actually making his podcasting debut, and unless you've actually met the guy, uh, you probably haven't heard his voice until now. He's been a part of the community for a while, part of the group, a uh, good friend of the show, and now he's breaking his silence. Ooh. You're popping my cherry. Uh, from Korea by way of Canada, Ghetto Tim, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, hey, how y'all doing out there? Good, how you doing, man? I'm good, I'm good. Just ready to get into some Carolyn! <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And the next guest is a man of many podcasts, uh, Criterion Cast, Cine Awesome, and he's been on the Gentleman's Guide uh, quite a few times, about three or four times, uh, including an episode with me uh, not too long ago, uh, James McCormick. What's up, James? Nothing much, guys. Just... Woke up ten minutes ago, so if I sound like I'm drunk, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, just to, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to pull the curtain back for the listeners, we're like spread out all over the world. Like we couldn't be farther apart from each other. Right. We got we got James in New York. We got me uh, out in the middle of the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and uh, we got Ghetto Tim in Korea. United fucking nations, baby. Yep, yep. Now, you think it'd be a nightmare kind of getting our schedules together, but it was actually pretty easy. Like, James is the only one that had to suffer, so. It's okay. Sorry, it's yeah. worth the suffering. <laughs> Next time, I'll be the one that gets up at 6 a.m., I promise. Yeah, so <laughs> before we get into, you know, a little bit of what we've been watching, James, you're, you've, uh, You've been working on something new. Is that something you can talk about now, or a new show, or? Yeah, definitely. Um, um, yeah, it's 
I didn't feel content with uh, just two podcasts and all the guest spots that I've all of a sudden been doing. But um, my better half. Hey man, uh, don't make us feel too lazy. I know. Well, the, 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 this is the only good thing about um, being without an actual like steady job is you have a lot of free time. So instead of just wallowing in depression like I usually would, uh, <laughs> my better half is like, oh, um, hey, why don't we do a, a podcast together? So I'm like, and this was a, like a couple of months ago, and she she was suggesting that she had she had never done a podcast either. So I'm like, well, yeah, I'd I'd love to. I mean, let's. What do you want to do? And she's like, well, you and I don't really like romantic comedies. I'm like, that's true. And she's like, oh, and we've been together almost ten years, so I think we know something about being a couple and couples in general. I'm like, yeah, that's. I mean, I think I know what I'm doing. Mm. And yeah, so we recorded the first episode. We're still editing it, but um, we're going. You know, we, we're calling it the Hopeful Romantics, and yeah, basically that's what it is. It's a couple just reviewing all types of romantic comedies. So our first episode we record, we talk a little bit about the genre itself and the, the hot, you know, the the good and bad of it, and like you know the stereotypes, and then. We took the archetype, in our opinion, of the new era from like the 80s on, of like when romantic comedies became like a genre onto itself, like primarily, which is when Harry met Sally. And oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was fun. And she, you know, she was, you know, worried about doing it, but I'm like, no, you're a natural. Like, you're perfect. Wow. So, mm-hmm. so hopefully people you know, I want to give it. some advice, man. Like, if there's two films that you've got to go, mm-hmm. like, there's two. Two major films that are great date films, you know, if you're going to ask me. Number Which one has got to be Irreversible. <laughs> number two has got to be Schindler's List. I mean, you know. <laughs> see, I, see being, being with the Criterion cast, my joke is always uh, Antichrist. It's or also Salo. a great date movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a romantic comedy. <laughs> So are you guys just going to do rom-coms or are you going to put a little twist on it and do like natural born killers and true romance and stuff like that? Or, You know, like we were talking about that, like, I mean, we're going to try to say stay within the genre itself. But I mean, we already have Halloween planned for uh, Shaun of the Dead, which is, in my opinion, I mean, spo- spoiler for the episode, even though it's months away, it's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. So. I think you kind of know where it's going to fall in that uh, in that genre. But we, we're going to go back and forth like classic films. I mean, if I can't talk about Cary Grant, then there's no point in doing the podcast either. So, mm-hmm. and she's and she's down for, and that's a good thing too. A lot of the films we're going to be covering, I I haven't seen, and she haven't hasn't seen either. Like our next episode is going to be a, a double bill. We're going to do for uh, what is it? Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached because. I have no idea what I'm gonna get with those, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, can't or I'll just say, I'll ask you this: Can sex friends be best friends? Whatever the freaking hell that that tagline was, I don't know. <laughs> it depends if they're willing to cook breakfast. See, there you go. <laughs> Very cool. So yeah, definitely keep uh, you know the community posted. You know. That's good, man. That's something original. I mean, everybody's always going for the same thing. And I mean, that's really, you know, and I I think it's really admirable of you kind of digging into uh, a genre that you're, 
I wouldn't say that you're, you know, it's not your cup of tea, but it's just, you know, you're willing to extend yourself or go there. I mean, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's what it is. It's a weak spot for me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like something like with Cine Awesome, we're doing random double bills of ridiculous, a lot of times ridiculous films. And that's part of my, like, see, people that know me, they know me as a B movie fan. So right. it's kind of funny that I also do Criterion Cast where we talk about very high lofty films like for the most part all the time so yeah it's it's good to like kind of spread my wings and show like hey you know what i can talk about romantic comedy and you could you could even hear me just be a dorky romantic guy with my girlfriend a little bit maybe i don't know maybe she'll edit that out yeah you know (laughs) hopefully we have a rapport with each other yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah hopefully you guys have some chemistry you know i know it's like i love you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah very cool so yeah three dudes talking about three movies today uh we're gonna have a lot of lot to talk about so instead of doing the full-on uh you know what we've been watching that the gents normally do at the beginning of the show uh we're just gonna do our best and worst of the week so uh uh james i guess i'll kick it over to you okay um well i'll go with the worst first um which last night i couldn't sleep for some reason, I wanted to go to sleep early, but I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll watch two films that supposedly have they, they they don't have anything to do with each other, but they both have the title Pulse. But it's not the Pulse you think. It's not the Japanese Cairo? Pulse. No, it's not the Japanese Pulse, and it's not even the shitty trilogy. For some reason, there is another trilogy that should not have been made. The American ones. No, um, the first one was from '88. It's the Joey Lawrence. Uh, classic pulse where about evil yeah exact evil electricity it's horrible it's boring it's this bad film and i thought that was gonna put me to sleep but i was so angry during Mm. the whole run of it so i'm like uh okay electricity 88 wasn't that called uh shocker no, <laughs> see, Shocker we covered on Cine Awesome. That's uh, the Mitch Pelleggi. Right. Whatever, yeah, like whatever his name is. Um, Yeah, Wes Craven classic. See, yeah. even though I didn't enjoy that film much, like growing up like grow, growing up now, I was like, oh, I used to love that film. It's not that good. But I prefer to watch that, Evil Electricity. This, this is like basically electricity itself. It, there's no explanation why it's evil. There's even a character in the movie that says this. He goes, I know why the, the electricity is evil, but I ain't gonna tell you. <laughs> maybe, you. maybe the electricity was just having a bad day. <laughs> you know, maybe. And, uh, and and luckily, Matthew Lawrence is also in it as a next-door neighbor who keeps saying, uh, it's so bad. Mm. So, yeah. The, if, if you can... Hopefully people that want to see the any other version of this film... We'll we'll not get to see this one. It's it's not good at all. But um, another film that happens to have the name, it's also known as Pulse, but I think most people know it as Octane. Um, 2002 thriller with uh, Madeline Stowe and Misha Barden. Um, I don't even know why I watched this one, because it, it doesn't make any sense. It's uh, Madeline Stowe is the mom of M- Misha Barden, and there's. They're just some of the most unlikable characters ever. And they're driving somewhere. And the daughter, you know, Misha Barton runs off with this other girl. And 
you have this drug crazed bizarre cult and they're obsessed with blood and cars and then you have just the worst like montage it's like almost like a a walk-off like from zoolander with them on drugs <laughs> in a in a, in a oil tanker I, I don't know i can't even explain how bad this film and like even with norman reedus who i appreciate even in the boondock saints films which i can't stand Ugh. i like norman reedus i like him i i feel bad like luckily he's on the walking dead now so he can stretch stretch um his legs out and show he's not just a bad irish stereotype uh, um, i thought you just said you had trouble sleeping man it sounds I, like after this one yeah, no that's <laughs> you know it's a funny thing with me i don't know why like bad movies like that that are just like boring bad movies like make me angrier than tired because i want to watch right. the end and then i'm just like what the f-? you know and I, I have to like stop myself from getting too angry because right i don't know like my blood starts even- boiling you get compelled that you got to finish it out, even though it sucks. You're just like, all right, I, you know, like, God damn it, you hooked me. I gotta, I gotta finish this damn thing. Like, even though you want to shut it off, it's like, no, no, that, you know, you can't, you know, can't get more ridiculous. But can it? And then you just got to dig into it. It always does. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so to our to our listeners, do not watch those two films at yeah. all. But don't but don't have a should... don't have a pulsathon. No, no, don't <laughs> exactly. I think I even said it on Get Glue. I'm like, why am I watching a double bill of Pulse that have nothing to do with each other? But I don't know. Ugh. But good film during this week was a film I revisited for the first time in probably a decade, which is the Adams Family movie with Raul mm-hmm. Julia, Angelica Houston. Um, what you know, I was kind of worried about watching it again after so many years. I'm like, is it just gonna be? cheesy and stuff and you know it has that cheese factor but that's what the Adams family was i mean it was kind of a cheesy show so it to me it's like what tim burton wishes he still could do that right. kind of like you know gothic yeah. whims whimsy you know and like i mean my girlfriend saw um i didn't i didn't see it because i didn't want to bother but dark shadows in theaters and mm. she was just like <laughs> she just shook her head and she had never seen dark shadows at all but Dark Shadows was also a cheesy show, but she was just like, no, it doesn't work. I mean, ugh. And then that's what prompted the Adams Family, like, like watch. It was on Netflix. It just popped up, both films. And I'm like, wow, just the biggest smile on my face. And Raul Julia just killing it as Gomez. Just right. has that perfect charm to him. And, I mean, I remember watching this as a kid and right. not getting all the sexual innuendos that are just oh, yeah. non-stop popping like bam 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 and i'm like wow this was to see this is like a family movie that the parents can laugh and like kind of like hey hey you know and then like the kids are laughing at you know wednesday and pugsley being demented and Christopher Lloyd making crazy faces as Fester. I used to love the original Adams family you know and with John Aston as Gomez oh, yeah. i mean like he was just. Not, I always loved him when you know blowing up his trains and smoking his cigars, and I just thought, who the hell can really match that, you know? And then when the remake came out, I, I was kind of weary, and I remember seeing it in the theater. And Raw Julia, man, like to his credit, I mean, I know a lot of people give that guy shit because his last role was, you know, oh, in Street Fighter. Twice in. <laughs> you right. know what? But, but you know what? He kills that role too. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's very, you know, the thing is, too, like, there's one thing I want to say right now, though, quickly, is that there's always this, this thing about, oh, they're check cashers, they're check cashers, yada, yada, yada. But for a guy to go from, like, a film like Kiss of the Spider Woman to, you know, Street Fighter and still take the role seriously, I mean, you know, he just did the job that he was supposed to do. And it wasn't a matter of check cashing. He nailed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, I mean, it's like, don't sit there and fault the budget or, or don't sit there and say because somebody's in a lower end film that, oh, they're just doing this for alimony payments or whatever, you know, it's like, no, like sometimes, you know, if you're a professional actor, you, you want to take a role that's fun or maybe, you know, less cerebral or less, you know, like serious. You want to just go in and have fun, man, you know, and get paid for it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, you done, dude? Oh, yeah, I'm done, yeah. I mean, okay. besides cool. that, you know, the only other thing I watched that's worth... I mean, I've been watching a lot of X-Files. Mm. I'm, I'm revisiting that for the first time, and I'm loving it again. It's like I feel like I'm 13, 14 again. Yeah. Being you, like, yeah, you, the tr- truth but, is out there. Are you watching, like, random episodes? Are you going through them in order? Or? Oh, going through them in order, actually, with, with my girlfriend. Like, she had never watched the show. She had only seen, like, bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, to be honest, what's up? You guys in the fringe as well? No, you know what? I've, I've never checked out an episode. It's, Uh, we don't have cable. And then like with fringe, I know they only put up like a little bit mm -hmm. on like Hulu and whatnot. And that's kind of like a lot of times shows I'll watch because they're available on Netflix and Hulu. So like lost, I finally got into after the show was out because it was on Netflix. I'm like, oh, well, we can watch this now. That's cool. Mm. And I think that's what's great about streaming. Like, oh, you know, that's why I'll get into Breaking Bad finally. Everyone yeah. else is, like, smacking me. Like, why haven't you watched this show yet? Like, I will. Yeah, like, I, watched, I, 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 watched the first two, I watched the first two seasons of Fringe. Uh, I really <laughs> dug it. I liked, I liked it better when they were doing, like, the early X-Files kind of Monster of the Week stuff. I love the Monster of the Week stuff, yeah. But, uh... Then they start getting – well, I don't want to get into it because, yeah. you know, it kind of spoils it. But uh, you, have, you've you seen it, Tim, right? Have you Do you watch it or – I've I've just started getting into the first season of Fringe. Oh, okay. Okay, then I won't say anything. But let's just say the end of season two, um, it, it goes like really like really over the top compared to, to uh, you know, how the show started out. Uh-huh. And uh, I kind of got into season three a little bit, watched like a couple of episodes on DVD, and I just couldn't get into it, man. It was just like way too out there. Right. It's it's like one of those things where, you know. Jump like, the shark? Uh, no, I don't want to say jump the shark. It's like one of those things with TV shows, you know. Like I always have this in the back of my mind when I watch shows. And like I keep in mind that like they have multiple writers working on different episodes. Uh-huh. It's it's like I keep thinking they're playing a game with each other where they like try to end one episode. Like a writer will try to end one episode as like ridiculously as possible just to see if the next guy can like pick it up and work with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. So so that's sure. what like the end of the second season of Fringe is like to me. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I'll probably get back into it because I like the characters a lot, but. It was just, you know, I couldn't really get into the, you know, what what, di- what direction they took the, the series. Oh, sorry about that. Motorcycle. <laughs> Rock and roll. But, uh, yeah, as far as X-Files, though, like, 
I got rid of my instant watch a couple months ago just to save money, and mm-hmm. I wasn't really using it. But uh, right. they had they had like every um, every season of the X Files on streaming, yeah. so I'd go so I'd go through a bunch of them and like watch a bunch of random episodes with like guest stars. Like right. I watched the ones with uh, the ones that Darren McGavin was on. I was oh, about to say like, uh, he's he's my boy, man, with the Night Stalker, the original oh, Night Stalker. Yeah. I fucking love uh, Bullshack. Actually, I grew that. Uh, I grew up as a boy watching that as a kid, uh, and I mean, you know, scared the shit out of me every Friday night watching it on ABC, and then I'd have to beg my parents to watch it the next week because you know I couldn't sleep after I'd have nightmares for all all week, and my parents would be pissed. They're like, "You're not watching it again. Gotta watch it next week. Come on, please." And it's like, "No, I'm like last week, you know, you pissed the bed. You're scared. You know, like." Yeah. Well, what do you guys think about the? Um the big budget movie version that Edgar Wright is doing with Johnny Depp. Have well, you guys heard to, about that? Kolchak? Yeah, Kolchak, the Night Stalker. They tried to do it again for TV, and that was just atrocious. That was Yeah, that was bad. bad. Who was that? that was, Stuart Townsend or something? Uh, yeah. I forget, yeah. Right? I forget who. Oh, yeah, I couldn't watch it either. I mean, I tried. I didn't even know it existed until somebody mentioned it not too long ago. Then I checked, and it was like, it was, came out a few years ago or something, or... Yeah, I think like, it was like 2006. Yeah, and, uh, and everybody says it's just awful. But uh, I don't know. I think I think Depp can do it. He, you know, he's definitely got the charisma. But the thing is, I'm just really fucking tired of Depp. Like I don't well, want to see him in anything anymore. You know? You know, you well, know once I heard it wasn't. Um, when when I heard it wasn't Burden, I was like, okay, well I'm down then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. You know who I think would make a really good Kolchak if he wasn't so old would be Fred Ward. Wow. Yeah, Fred Ward would be uh-huh. awesome. He's just got that kind of character to him that, you know, McGavin did, that kind of really hard-bitten, hard-drinking, like, you know. I could just see, you know, Fred Ward in a suit and just being so jaded, like, just having that real kind of, mm-hmm. you know. He's just he's just got it, man. He's just, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just getting back to X-Files, um, when I was kind of revisiting the show and, like, streaming all these episodes, I watched Home, uh, which is my favorite yeah. episode. God, that, that was thing. the one they never put on television, or I think they did eventually. But yeah, first I, remember, they... I remember seeing it on TV back in the day, but uh, did they have some issues with that one when it came out? Yeah, or? I think the first time when it ran, I think they, they didn't put it on, and then when they actually uh, re-ran the series, that's when they finally screened it. But I think the first time that the series ran, they just said, there's no way we're putting this on <laughs> I, you know, incest like this is like hee-haw meets the texas chainsaw massacre like no no yeah it's it's still fucking creepy oh yeah yeah classic episode but uh yeah i'll kick it over to you tim uh if you've been watching oh well actually last night i i watched two um the first thing i watched was i watched a documentary that was really cool it was called the vinyl frontier and it's all about the whole new uh, genre of uh, toy makers, artists and toy makers. And when I say toys, I don't mean action figures. I'm talking about, like, do you guys know who Frank Kozik is? The, uh, Kozik, the name sounds Kozik familiar. Was, yeah. like, he was a concert poster maker in the 80s and 90s, and he was the one that used all, like, the Hanna-Barbera type of characters and weird psychedelic posters for concerts and he did Nirvana posters and the Melvins posters and all kinds of stuff like that. And then he decided that he wanted to get out of that. And he got into uh, making these uh, figurines and toys and stuff like Chairman Mao with Mickey Mouse ears and like, you know, all kinds of these real. They're more figures that I don't you know, like. I mean, the whole documentary is about 
the argument between what is art and what is toys. I mean, when mm. you think of toys, you think of things that you play with, but these aren't things that you play with because these are collectibles. These are things that like they run like limited series, you know, like 100 pieces or 50 pieces and you know, and they're like $500 to, you know, anywhere up to like $10,000 for a piece because they're all custom made. And, you know, I mean, the whole documentary goes into like, you know, how in America it was all like the Star Wars thing that got into that. And then they got into like in Japan and Hong Kong, where it was more like this uh, anime or more like these kind of uh, fantasy figures. And, and it just got into how in America now there's all these guys that were like graffiti artists and dudes that were like uh, print artists, how they actually tr uh, transcended into making toys. And it was really fascinating how what they do now is they have these kind of parties, like art parties, where they'll give people to come in like blank figurines. And then they give them markers and glue and glitter and whatever they want. And everyone that comes in makes their own personalized toy. And then it even gets to the point of where if you're good enough at it, you can actually start to sell your character. And then you can get into a line of characters, right? And it's all about this whole DIY thing, you know, where – it's kind of transcended Mattel and, and you know, all these Lego and all of this, where people now are starting to kind of create their own art. It's going underground again. And, and it was really fascinating. It was just really a cool little documentary about, you know, like I thought I knew about toys, man. But, I mean, like I'm thinking G.I. Joe and things like that. And I didn't know shit because I'm looking at some of the newer things. And I'm like, damn, man, like this stuff was just mind-blowing. And, you know, and it was just, it was just really a kind of – Cool, different documentary. The other thing I watched was um, wasn't so great. Was a Japanese uh, new kaiju film called Death Kappa. Oh, wasn't that good? Ah. Ah, uh, well, I mean, I I'm a fan of the old kaiju, and I mean, one of my favorites is you know War of the Gargantuas. You know. Yep. I mean, I love that film, and I love the old. I don't know, like I mean, I don't care what you say about it, whether it's cheesy or not. I mean, I don't give a shit, man. That's I don't know. There's something. Uh, something pure about it to me, the old kaiju stuff. And, and I wanted to try to see if this was going to be something kind of on the next level. But it, it tried to it tried to wind up being like uh, Dai Nippon Jay. Have you guys seen that? No. No. The big, man, big man in Japan? The one I never that got to out. see that. No, yeah, I, was... I know Rufus from Sin Awesome is trying to – like he wants to do an episode with big man Japan. I'm like, I'm down for it, so – Right. The, the characters were really great in that. And it was more like a philosophical, like, you know, this really it was it was almost like if Robert Altman had done a kaiju film. Right. And it was like, you know, <laughs> this guy goes to work and he's this dude and, he, and he's trying to just, you know, do his job and support his family. And he winds up putting on these giant underpants and, a, you know, power plant. And then they juice him up with electricity and he turns into this big giant guy who has to go out and defeat all the kaiju monsters in Japan. You know, it was really it's funny, but but this one, uh, Kappa, Death Kappa, I really struggled to get through this thing because, you know, I mean, we all know, you know, the, the Japanese, you know, when it comes to wacky, I mean, you know, they're the masters. But this film, like, it, it just couldn't decide what it wanted to be. I mean, one minute it had these kids getting shredded in the back of a car and, like, limbs and blood and, and gore. And then the next minute you had these kids dancing around singing with this little – kappa like it was like the teletubbies like i mean like it just went it just went back and forth like the mood it was just too too erratic you know and I, i'm just like well make up your mind is it going to be this or is it going to be that and, and it was just 
it tried to be everything at once and it it, it was just really kind of hard to follow along with it you know yeah yeah but the best the best thing that i've seen this week on bar none and i really have to recommend this was there's a film called messiah of evil from the 70s oh yeah Mm -hmm. have you seen that Mm -hmm. i love that film man that was mind-blowing i mean it was um you know it's not the great it wasn't the greatest film but there was moments in it there were some of the creepiest things that i've seen in a long long time yeah, I mean, now, there's a scene in the theater that I don't want to spoil where a girl goes into a theater and she's sitting there watching a movie and the theater's empty. And then slowly all these people start coming into the theater. And it was just it was just really, really unnerving. You know, like there's just mm-hmm. moments in this film that are just dynamite. You know, it's just yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, as much as the 70s get kind of pounded for being low budget and being, you know, kind of cheesy. Man, for me, the atmospherics and, like, just being able to just capture that mood of, like, r- real solid horror, you can't beat the 70s. Yeah. And then the people who made that went on to do uh, American Graffiti right after that, I think. Yeah. And he also um, – what's his name? Um, Willard Huck or Yuck. I always forget how to say his name. I know what's great about him is he went on to write Temple of Doom, which right. is pretty awesome. And then he wrote and directed Howard the Duck. Which kind of Oof, yeah. so the Lucas thing was always you know from American Graffiti on, but that kind of um, he didn't do he didn't um, direct again after Howard the Duck, so mm-hmm. well, it, didn't, it didn't kill I'll, Lucas, but it killed him. Yeah, I'll take a bullet here. I saw Howard the Duck in the theater. Hey, I I own Howard the Duck. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> I own a lot of shitty films, so not as many as Justin uh, Oberler, you know Oberhartzer. He's yeah. he's got a lot of shit, but I don't know something about Howard the Duck. I don't know because it's such a bad film, like it, but it costs so much to make. Yeah, right. I think that's why I appreciate it. Well, I remember reading the comics in the '70s, oh, Steve yeah. Gerber, like the Marvel comics. I loved the Howard the Duck comics, and they were just so insane. And then I remember when the film came out, I'm thinking, how the hell are they gonna like you know transcend like the comics into a film? And it was just like, you know, I don't know. It, it was just—it was almost like you know, for years they've been trying to do a Freak Brothers movie, Claymation, mm-hmm. and they've actually—they actually, they actually uh, did a little short a while ago, and you can find it on YouTube if you—you you know—you know I'm talking about the Furry Freak Brothers. It sounds familiar. Rip Off Press, the guys from the '70s, Underground Comics, the three stoner guys that lived together, uh, and Robert Crumb was part of Rip Off Press, um, okay. you know, and they, but. Uh, it's like they wanted to do a full feature film of that. And it's like, well, it was kind of a, a film of the era. It was like of that time. So, I mean, to do it today, it's like, no, nah, there's not too many people anymore that really remember who the Freak Brothers were. And it was the same thing with Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck was such a cult figure that for them to even really you know, think about making a film about it, it was just, uh, you know. Yeah, right. Cool. Well, uh I'm going to start with my best of the week. I actually have a tie, and uh, both movies are about, uh, like, fighting and martial arts and combat sports. Well, kind of one more than the other. Uh, The first is David Mamet's Red Belt, uh, which I watched for the first time. Uh, Great fucking movie. I've been kind of on a David Mamet kick lately. Uh, I'm not going to watch, like, a shitload of his films, but, you know, just a few here and there. I watched the... three movies this week that he was involved in Spartan Red Belt and Hannibal which he just co-wrote but uh 
Yeah, Red Belt is fucking great, man. I loved it. Have you guys seen it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I own that. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Allen's actually really good at it, too, which I was surprised. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really surprising that that was the first action film that Mammoth really, you know, took on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because everything before that was more, you know, character pieces and, and Red Belt, you know, it's just, it, it was interesting that he actually was successful in kind of taking the way that he develops characters and kind of transcending that into the action genre, you know, it was, it was really interesting. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah, I don't have too much to say about it. I mean, it's, it's a great film, you know, but, uh, one thing I will say that, you know, I won't say how old I am, but, uh, <laughs> these days, like, you know, if I try to watch a movie late at night, like, and I turn the lights off, no, I'm done. You know, I'm passing the fuck out. <laughs> I hear you, man. And I attribute that to old age. But uh, this movie, I watched it at like 2 in the morning, and it just kept me glued to the fucking screen the whole time. Like, I just watched it straight. Right. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. And the other film is um, a biopic that came out um, not too long ago on DVD, I think, called The Hammer, which is based on – it's a biopic about Matt the Hammer Hamill, who is the – uh, the only deaf uh, MMA fighter in the UFC. And this movie just kind of talks about his upbringing and the road to uh, his first NCAA uh, wrestling championship in college. And, uh, you know, it's... When you look at it as a sports movie, you know, he's an underdog, but then on top of that, you got the fact that he's deaf. And he grew up basically reading lips and not signing much. And he got put in a school where everybody was signing, you know, and it was like, even amongst the deaf community, he was kind of like an outsider. So, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's a flawed film. It's kind of low budget, you know, the technical aspects of it, you know, could have been improved on or whatever. But uh, it's such a, like a good, like feel good movie that I can't like, you know, hate on it. Right. But, uh, you know, yeah. when somebody says to me, the hammer, like to me, the only hammer ends with a last name Williamson. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, sadly for me, um, when I think of the hammer, I think of uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine. <laughs> oh, exactly. True. No, true. That's true. The hammer, man. Like, yeah, yeah, true. That's true. But uh, yeah. least favorite of the week, uh, The Shrine, uh, directed by Ooh. John Knotts, who did. Jack Brooks' Monster Slayer from a few years back, which, you know, it wasn't a great movie, but I enjoyed it. You know, Robert Englund was good in it. I liked the concept behind it, um, but it had some issues, you know. Mm-hmm. And this one, uh, I posted about this, you know, in the, in the Death Rattle Facebook group, and some people came to its defense, and I felt like kind of like the outsiders, like, damn, you know, am I stupid, you know? You know? Am I'm I not, not going to spoil it, but did you, didn't you think in the beginning that it was going to turn out to be like another hostile film? Yeah, yeah, because it's basically about basically about this you know writer. I don't know if she's a freelance writer or she works for a, a paper or magazine or whatever, but she travels to Europe because she wants to investigate like these missing backpack backpackers, and uh, they all go missing like in the same area and their luggage turns up like all over Europe and like random places, and she comes across a village and you know that's about all I'll say about that you know weird locals kind of thing. But uh, I just thought it was really dull, and it was, like, really by the numbers, you know? Right. The beginning, too, of it, it you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not going to throw any spoilers in there, but it kind of reminded me of um, 
Mario Bava's um, Black Sunday. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Or or Hammer or Hammer. You know, it just had it just had that the element in the beginning where you're like, whoa, this is going to be ah, this is going to be one of them Euro horror films. This is great, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you, you start watching it and you go, wait a minute, no, it's not. It's like, uh. yeah, yeah. I definitely thought of Black Sunday though because of the the mass thing. But right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. That's all I got to say about that. So, and this this coming from you know a week when I watched Repo the Genetic Opera. Oh boy. For for me to say that the shrine is you know my least favorite thing of the week, that must say something. But uh, yeah, I don't know. At least has uh, Anthony Head in a uh, tight leather. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got to support the shrine in one way though, because it's a Canadian film, and you know, mm-hmm. I've I've always said no matter how shitty films are from Canada, man, I've got to support the home. You know, got to support my homeland, and you know, I mean, guys are out there still doing it, and even though you know, like I say, a lot of things are really off the mark sometimes you know you still got to hand the people they're trying to put money and their effort in things you know oh yeah absolutely sure sure cool well that's all i got uh i guess we're gonna just roll into the first review of uh poltergeist from 1982 is that cool with you guys or absolutely perfect right on so uh tim you said you're gonna take the lead i'll go ahead and um synopsize it since it's really easy so (laughs) sure but uh poltergeist 1982 synopsis uh a family's home is haunted by a host of ghosts. That's from IMDb. Uh, that's dire- it. That's it. Oh, oh. Uh, di- directed by uh, Toby Spielberg, Stephen Hooper. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Well, first first thing I want to say is it's interesting that the word – I always thought it was strange that they used the word poltergeist for the movie because poltergeist is actually in German – noisy ghost mm-hmm. or or it's like a trickster it's more of a mischievous ghost and if you've seen the movie there's a little bit more than mischief that goes on you know yeah yeah it starts re- off a little mischief mischievous but then right it goes it, completely it cranks it up yeah yeah i i remember seeing this in the theater back in 82 i was about 14 years old when i saw this and thing you have to remember now is that at that time you know we didn't have the internet where you know every fucking thing about the movie before you're going in and, you know, the extended trailer, the second trailer, the third trailer, the we're going to give you 90% of the movie trailer. Like, there was none of that. You know, there was a simple trailer that people caught before, you know, in other films before uh, it was released. But people really didn't know that much. Now, the one thing I want to say about Poltergeist is that you really have to consider um, the time it came out, like in the early 80s. You know, there was still, and this sounds funny today, but there was still a nuclear kind of a crisis going on. You know, the Cold War was still going down. And I mean, you know, Poltergeist came out in 82 and the year after, the day after the film came out in 83. So there was still that whole thing about, you know, what's going to go down, you know, like, you know, like, is anybody going to invade or are we going to get bombed or whatever? I mean, I mean, like people were really, it was in the air. And, and the thing is, I think that, Horror at that time became personalized. And what I mean by that is that um, it affected you in your house. It affected you where you lived. And, you know, like, consider this. Like, The Thing also came out in 82 as well. And with The Thing, it was like this idea that, you know, the monster is us. It can become us. You know, know, it's so close to us. It is us, you know. Mm. And if you think about, 
you know, the 70s and the 80s, it was the TV era and the TV was us. And the thing that we trusted, it was almost like an extended family member, you know, and even consider the fact that Videodrome came out a year later in 83 and that dealt with television as well. So it was there was I really think there was this kind of vibe that was going around at the time about this whole personalized horror, you know, that it was it, it just hit people where they lived, you know. Yeah. And that's what kind of made it more kind of potent, so to speak. Um, Poltergeist wasn't the only home invasion, ghost home invasion film that came out in 83 either. It was uh, there was a film called The Entity with Barbara Hershey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that later, because that kind of plays a part in Poltergeist as well. And, you know, the thing is, too, that uh, Poltergeist now, like at the time when I saw it, it was, um, I think you had to be over 14 to see Poltergeist. And now they consider it like, you know, kind of teenage fair, you know, for kids. But it's really not a film that I'd want to show my my young ones, you know. Like, I mean, it's, it's not a film for kids as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, and the thing is, too, also that um, I wanted to say next that nobody really had any idea at the time when Poltergeist came out of the influence that it would have on future films. And even to this day, like paranormal activity, I mean, insidious, you know, all these things. Oh, there's yeah. still those those home invasion films that are still the ghost home invasion films that are still going on, right? And another thing too that I'll I'll kind of touch on slightly, but go, but we're going to talk about later is that the main concept in Poltergeist of a child lost in the confines of the house, it's not really new because actually it goes back to the Twilight Zone. Because there was a Twilight Zone episode yep. that pool, kind right? of a little girl lost. Yeah, but it was, was the it? one with the pool. I think she's like, where'd she go? It right, it right, almost right, feels right. like that's actually matched a little bit with right. that. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But um, the thing was too is that you know there's there's so many. Um, it really has a resonating influence on so many things. I mean, like, you know. There's there's a problem too that I think that comes in with the you know like with the second and third film, and I think it's really a, a flaw of any sequelitis. You know the the main issue that I have, and you know I I'll get into this now a little bit, but think about it like this, right? When you're swimming in the ocean, you know you swim so far out from the shore, and the shore is your base, and when you get out so far, you say, okay, well I, I swam this far. I did it, and now I can go back. But then next time you're going to try to go a little further out and a little further out and a little further out, and you keep getting further and further away from your base, and there's nothing really to hold on to. And what happens is, you know, once you get so far out, you're just treading water, and you either have to have something substantial there to hold on to or you drown. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what happens in the second and third films is I think, you know, with the first (laughs) – with the first film, there's a real base there, and I think that you know it, it, there's it's really substantial. But I think with the second and f- third film, they tried to swim out further and further and further, and then after a while, it was just like, well, where's the shore? Oh shit, <laughs> I'm yeah. done. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> and, and I think that's a big that's a big issue that comes into the second and third film. But anyway, um, I guess we'll start off. You know, the one thing I wanted to say with the introduction too was. Uh, could Steven Spielberg's name be big enough in the credits? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's pretty pretty huge. 
I mean, like Toby gets this little tiny little fucking, uh, you know, it's like produced by Steven Spielberg, you know, this by Steven Spielberg, that by written Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah, written by Steven Spielberg. Oh, and Toby Rupert directed it. Anyway, okay, it's like, <laughs> it's, Which is why I think people always think Spielberg directed it, because like, right. hey, hey, uh, yeah, Hooper did it, but um, it was in my contract. See, I think that's why, because. The contra- his contract for E.T. stated that he could not direct another film mm. while making that, which I've never heard of a contract like that before. You know what I mean? Like, even Joss Whedon recently, while doing The Avengers, on a break, directed a a quick two-week um, Shakespeare film. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, if something like Marvel and Disney don't mind someone making a film on the fly while they're doing... Why would... I don't know. It seemed very weird. Like, well, Spielberg, don't make another great film. Right. Yeah. And the one, the one thing, too, that I wanted to say that, you know, I mean, everybody has, you know, what they call their comfort food or their comfort movies. And also, to me, there's those comfort, uh, the comfort music or the comfort soundtracks. To me, like Jerry Goldsmith, man. I mean, you know, that just every time I hear that soundtrack, it just kind of it's almost like Christmas lights. I don't know how to explain it, but I mean, it's just mm-hmm. uh it's got a really, I don't know, reminiscence or uh, I don't know. It just it just really hits me all the time every time I hear that you know the Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack. You know, it, it just it just really does a lot for me. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys want to get into the film and uh, go over some of your notes and. Sure. Uh, actually, James, do you want to go? Because I got like a shitload of notes, so I just want to cancel them out uh, as they get yeah, brought I mean, up. So. I mean, I'll, I'll yeah. I mean, my notes are very. Not even half a page because I, oh, okay. I tried to uh, freewheel it. But no, I mean, the first thing I just wanted to bring up was how about um, pool worker number two, Sonny Landham? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> Like, luckily. Sonny Landham. And then yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the other, like, guy, luckily, uh, the other guy was Lou Perryman from uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too. Yeah. 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 Rest in peace, Lou. Like, it's a really tragic story about what happened. You guys know that he was actually murdered in his house, eh? No, I didn't know that. No, I did not yeah, know so, that. Oh, my God. Some, some meth head went and broke into his house, and it was a home invasion, and he was actually shot in his own house. It was a really tragic story. But, uh, you know, and, and he was one of the nicest guys. I knew people that interviewed him about TCM, too, and he'd sit there for hours with it. He was just a good old boy, man. Like, yeah. there was, you know, he was a real deal. And, and I just say rest in peace, Lou, because, I mean, you know, he wasn't a primary player in the horror community, but, I mean, if you know your stuff, you know, you know who he was, and, it was just kind of a tragic end, the guy. When when did that happen? Um, I think about a year and a half ago, actually. Oh, oh uh, God. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, don't do drugs, kids. Because yeah. look, look what happens. I mean, ugh. Yeah, I was I was gonna say is that part of the the curse? But that was you know. Yeah. Not well, ago, so. well, right. I mean, it's one of those things that's believed. I know, like the curse, yeah. like at the time, and then, I mean, sadly, anytime someone dies now, I guess. You know, sadly, when Craig T. Nelson, you know, something ha- if something weird happens to him, oh, it's part of the curse. That's no, <laughs> it just sucks. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So what are but, they going to um, blame? Toby's career on the curse? I well, mean, like, see, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. You never know. I mean, it's not like Toby Hooper didn't work with Spielberg again after right. this. He, he, I know he directed the pilot for Taken, that sci-fi right. series. You know, the then Spielberg produced so. I think they're perfectly friendly with each other. It's just this was a weird time for Hooper. But, I mean, this film is a very 
it's weird seeing this film again after so many years and um I don't know if it's just me but the whole planned community type of idea is scary. I don't yeah, know. It's it crazy. always looks when you scary. see the trailer when you see the trailer yeah. and you see all the row houses, man, it's oh, like God. it it almost looks like almost like a concentration camp or something yeah. like that. It's just it, it looks almost like these kind of like it's like this kind of you know laboratory or like all these kind of boxes they all look the same but yeah it's it's pretty weird yeah it's it's um, it's a fr- it's a frightening look i don't know like i you know i grew up in new york city so i never had that whole like suburbia so like when i'd watch like any like spielberg type films or any type of 80s like when when the suburbia was like huge like people were showing it off in anything like family comedies or even horror films no matter what film it was it always scared the hell out of me i'm like i can never live in something like that for people who do fine i mean if it's not weird but i've read so many books too that take the horror slant like um to give a quick example um bentley little made wrote this book the association right and it's about a planned community holy crap that is one of the most frightening books ever and i'm like oh there you go. I was right. thinking about it. Not anymore. <laughs> you know? Ugh. The one thing I, I wanted to say, too, was in the beginning of the film, and I just wanted to talk about drinking for a second because I, I just happen to be drinking a little bit of vodka right now. <laughs> I figured, like, uh, there's a good poltergeist drinking game, you know? You need to take a shot every time someone says Carol Ann. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you, well, shit, Poltergeist 3, done, dude. Done. Oh, right. You'd be in the hospital. Yeah. Because they say Carol Ann like a hundred something times. What's in that her movie. name there? Laura, Laura Flynn Boyle when she comes back. Carol Ann, Carol Ann, Carol Ann. She's freaking <laughs> yeah, out. You'd be like, oh, oh, yeah, you'd like, oh god, yeah, give right. me the, just give me the bottle. I'll just chug. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, the one thing that's kind of funny was you know in the be- in the beginning when they're watching the football game and the and then the guy on the bike and the kids with the remote control cars yeah. and they wipe them out and he runs into the house. And it's like pissing beer. Yeah. And Craig T. Nelson's like, I don't give a shit, man. You're spilling beer all over my house. Like it's a, and the beer is just shooting everywhere. And they're just sitting there <laughs> watching the game, man. That's hilarious. Like yeah. I just thought that was awesome, you know. Yeah, I mean, oh no, that, and you know that that guy, I, I forgot that actor, but like he always played like a role like that, like a kind of a bumbling. He's only in that one scene, but right. yet. Like, that beard and, like, that really tight T-shirt. I don't know. Like, that's what's weird, too. Like, the kids are just being kids, but they're being little pricks. Right. That's, like, horrible. Like, oh, I, I almost forgot for a second. I'm like, wait, is he supposed to be kind of dim? Oh, no. He's just He's, he's just, just half stupid. the bag. Yeah, he's just nah, stupid. He's... Like, I'm going to have, like, two six-packs while I'm riding this little bike. Like, <laughs> riding yeah, his kid's would... bike. And he probably he probably stole like uh, Carol Ann's bike or one of the kids' bikes, you know, just to go down to the store to get beer because he couldn't drive his car because he was pissed, right? So he's coming back with the you know the extra two six packs, you know. Yeah. Now it's funny. Well, that's what I love too, because like he tries to get in through the front door, but nobody answers. So it's such a small, like like tight community that he just goes through the back and it's unlocked. You know what I mean? Like, and I kind of feel like. It it's even like you know with Spielberg, his influence and also like Hooper's influence of, you know even something as like quaint and family oriented as this like like this planned community, something can get in, yeah, and right. you won't even expect it. You know what I mean? And it comes from something we don't even realize is going to happen. But I kind of like that, like where being you know like I said again being in New York City, 
I've never left my door unlocked, ever. Well, you see, but that's now. You see, that's what I was trying to say earlier about the past. Right. That in the in the 80s, there was a whole thing about how you know the horror came right to us. You know, with the thing, right. you know, where it becomes us. It's like you know, you're so comfortable in your environment, or you're so laid back that it's just like ah, whatever. You know, shit. You know, and and it's just it's just like that snake that just kind of comes right up on you and just gets in the door, and you don't even know it, right? Yeah, I mean, you with know, poltergeists, it's even scarier. It comes from beneath. You know right. what I mean? Like yeah. it's like holy crap, you, like. You know, or the or the TV, the thing that you left on all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and and that's what I appreciate. Like the film starts with that, like with you know the whole, you know, the public service, you know, not public service announcement, but you know, like basically the end of the night. Like nobody, right. kids today would not get that. Like yeah. wait, no. what? Like what's that? <laughs> TV's on all the time. No, right. Not, back see, then, like... <laughs> there was a time. Like I know, I remember growing up having to wait till a certain time for TV to come back on. <laughs> right. Kids today don't realize. Oh, yeah, what... absolutely. And here, here's the thing is that back in back in the day, you know, I used to go out and I'd party with my friends. I'd come home and I'd be smashed and I'd turn on the TV and I'd just see the, you know, the color bars. And I'd be like, holy shit, it's late, man. Now it's night. You know, it's <laughs> like, you know, as long as TV was on, it wasn't night. But once the TV was, you know, they, they signed off. It's like, you know, you're into the witching hour. Like, that's it, man. And that's what I really like about it is it's kind of a shift from like reality to kind of the ghost world or kind of that other world. Like once that TV signs off, man, it's just like all bets are off. Like then that shit's going down. You know what I mean? I really like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a really good way of showing that, you know, okay, now everybody's, you know, now we've let our guard down. Now, like everybody's got their eyes closed now this is when it's going down you know i really like that definitely so go ahead no 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 i mean what were you gonna say i was just gonna cut to a a different part no i was gonna say heather heather o'rourke you know when you first see her um it really reminds she really reminded me the first time i saw her even in the theater is um did you guys ever see the animated version of uh the grinch Yes, yes. Yeah. Little Cindy Lou. She, she's Cindy Lou. Yeah, yeah. That's a good totally. point. Yeah, she's Cindy Lou. It's like she's that little Whoville girl, you know, and, and she's so pure and so innocent. Like, I mean, they couldn't have found a more cherubic little kid. I mean, like, like, oh my god, like, it's like if you look at her long enough, you're gonna get diabetes for fuck's sakes. She's, <laughs> so, like, she's just so Seriously. sweet. Like, it's just, oh man, it makes your teeth hurt when you're looking at this kid, you know. Yeah. But She's perfect, right? She's perfect. Mm. No, definitely. I mean, and it's a shame, you know, as we go along with the review, um, how she died so soon and so suddenly and how she's actually a really good child actor. Oh, yeah. I I, I wish we could have seen maybe where she was going to go because even in the third film, she has a, you know, she's actually very quick-witted. I was like, oh, right. Like, she was, like, really good. And that's why even in the first film, being this little child who has to pretend speaking to a TV and has to pretend talking on the phone. And she's so sweet. And, like, Craig T. Nelson, you know, as the father's just, like, it's just a great little rapport between them. And then Joe Beth – oh, man, Joe Beth. I don't know. Joe Beth Williams is one of those, like, MILFs. Oh yeah, of for all sure. Time. Like serious and like that's another thing which is a little subtle thing. They're smoking pot in bed. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's not a big deal. And you I know mean, what I mean? It's not said. You know, it's just like, oh, oh. they're smoking pot. 
yeah, traditional that's, child rearing. You know, you're sitting there reading a book on child psychology and smoking a dube. You know, what I mean, like, yeah, while, yeah. yeah, while he's reading a book about Reagan, like yeah. right, he's rolling yeah. it himself. He's like, you know, can you roll this for me? Like, you know, yeah, that's that's that seems definitely a sign of the times, though, because I mean, there's there's. I think that scene was kind of a fuck you to Reagan too, because it's yeah. kind of like Ron and Nancy, you know, they'll just say no to drugs. Right. You know, yeah. and he's sitting there reading the book and rolling a joint. You know, I, I just thought that was kind of funny, you know, like, well, I appreciate that too. Cause like, it shows like they're, they're right from the beginning and even to the end, they're great parents and they love mm-hmm. their children. Even when the shit's hitting the fan, so to speak. And right. you know, Tangino, like you said, vagina, whatever the hell her name Tangina. is. Tangina. <laughs> she is telling, you know, him to tell her you're gonna spank her, and he's like, "But I don't spank my." Ch-. Like he is so offended by that. Right, right. That is right, really right. telling of what his character is, and mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. Like right from the get go, they want to, they they will do anything to save their children. Right. And that's okay. why, like right from the beginning, you like them. You're like, okay, these are great right. people, and. The showing them as a family is what makes oh, yeah. this film work because you're like, oh, there's a, a sweet family. Like the the daughter, you know, the 16 year old daughter, she's kind of a, you know, we we kind of see she's kind of a, you know, sleeping around maybe a little bit, you know, yeah. getting getting hickeys. It's nothing well, wrong with that. There's a bit where there's the bit where she says, well, oh, let let let's go to that Motel Six. Joe Beth says, oh, yes. let's go to Motel Six. And she says, oh, I remember that place. What? Oh, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Was- it, you wouldn't be able to do that today unless you blatantly say, oh, my daughter's a slut. Like, you know right. what I mean? And, and it's right. also another sign of the times. Yeah. Or when she's uh, – when uh, the construction guys are, you know, looking at her in her little Catholic schoolgirl outfit and she flips them off and Joe yes. Best's like, oh, that's my girl. You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You got, you've got uh, – was it Sonny Landon like sticking yeah. his tongue out, like sexually oh, harassing oh. her teenage daughter? Yeah. And yeah, she's just like, oh, shocks, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, this um, this, guys, this isn't no, um, Straw Dogs where, you know, Dustin Hoffman gets pissed at the workers for being oh, yeah. like, like later on. But like, but they're like the worst workers because not yeah. only are they flirting, but he's eating food right. like the sauce and like drinking the sauce. coffee. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right? And I, but I love she. It like again, it's such a different time where it's like, eh, whatever you're workers. Yeah. Did you guys uh, did you guys get a vibe off of Craig T? He kind of reminded me a bit of like Chevy Chase doing the vacation thing. Like he yeah he, a little he, bit a little he bit. He kind of had when he's jumping on the bed, you know, when he yes. he's talking about diving when he's high, you know, and he's like standing there like jump. All right, I'm gonna do a swan dive, you know, and he's like, yeah, it was kind of funny. Like he just had that kind of it was comedy sometimes, but it was kind of that more obscure, like, I don't know. I just, that's kind of had a Chevy Chase feel off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, you know, that scene you're talking about, like within two, two minutes, I'd say he goes from, uh, reading a book to rolling a joint, to doing push ups. <coughs> excuse me, to flexing in a mirror, you know? And I'm right. like, I was like, I'd, I'd be, I would have fucking, you know, been all up in some Joe Beth, you know, what's he doing? Right. Definitely. Right, right, right. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they're a little high, so they're just yeah. goofing off a little bit. And I mean, they do have that loving, you know, rapport with each other that it's not just like they're married. They have three kids, but they still have that, you know, sexuality. And I also appreciate that, too. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you know, 
the one thing I wanted to say too that I thought was kind of funny is like you know you you said earlier oh they're good parents but I'm thinking you know no they're not no fucking good parent I know would ever buy their kids a clown like that no shit dude no that Jeez, that is it's like who does that like no <laughs> <laughs> see but see here's another thing like with with the clown and I you know watching the film again for the first time in so long and just laughing because i'm like okay well the clown's not evil yet but it's going to be like you know that as a film fan but you know and it's also it feels like a nod to like the fun house you know like creepiness like of like a clown when's it gonna come to life you know right like speaking of the room the kid's room how did you like all that star wars viral yeah (laughs) but but see at first i'm like oh god luke i get it spielberg lucas but i'm like oh no wait every kid had star wars stuff yeah true that's true too that's true it's it, so it's a combination like like of yeah you know lucas the the the, the friendship but also no i mean i'm thinking of every kid you know kid i was friends with even up to like Absolutely. 85 had Absolutely. star wars you know mm. right Right, 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 right. But it feels like a lived-in room, you know what I mean? Like, actually, they have that joke, like, about the houses looking lived in. Right. Like, when he's showing, and that's what I love, too. Like, he's, he's like, the best salesman for this community. And he right. doesn't even know the secrets behind what's going on and, like, what's his, um, who plays, like, his boss? That, um, I know he's from Return of the Living Dead. And James Karen. Yeah. And yeah. I I know him personally from like growing up. I knew him as the spokes the 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 figurehead, you know, the face of Pathmark, which is a supermarket chain. Okay. He used to do the commercials, which blew my mind because I'm like, wait, he he's an actor, but he's also doing these like commercials. But like he wasn't like it wasn't like hi, I'm. No, he was just like the spokesperson. Right. Very bizarre. Like growing up, so like when I saw Poltergeist for the first time as a kid, I'm like. Pathmark, Pathmark, you know, like yeah. and my parents are like, yep, yeah, that's that's him. You got and he, it. He's a really effective dude, and I mean the way that he plays that too, it's almost like you know, you know, he could sell fucking ice cubes to Eskimos. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like he's just like he's just so greasy. Like he's just got that. Well, how you doing there, bud? You know, la, 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 yeah. like he's just sitting there. Like it, it, it's you know. He's just blowing smoke up Craig T's ass and just, oh, you're the best architect, buddy. Like, you're the best sales guy. Blah, blah, blah. You can live here. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to have your swimming pool here and this here and that here. And it's just like, yeah, you you know something. You know, he knows something that nobody else does, you know. Yeah. yeah even when, like, you know, his daughter, you know, Carol Ann is missing. He's still selling him, you know, selling him this idea. And even right. at first he's disgusted by the idea of, like, moving – the you know the the cemetery but oh no don't worry it, it's it's okay it's only five minutes on the road and like for a split second he's like okay with it right like so what it's like the whole about... greed you know corporate greed thing comes up like well it's okay who cares and when he's talking about having the flu and he's just saying you know well hey you know you've got the flu oh well so and so your daughter's got the flu everybody's got the flu oh well we need you back buddy like come on you know like <laughs> it's like all that that really shysterism in him you know it's just he, he did it so well yeah no definitely i mean and, and yeah i mean i'm just trying to think where to even go with this like how they you know they're freaking out and i i find it weird that they go to these parapsychologists from uc irving well be, before that let's let's yeah. go back to yeah. like the first experience with the okay. with the, the spoons and the fork and the chair before they even go to anybody 
there there where when Joe Beth kind of you know figures out that this is fucked up when she turns her back and all the chairs are stacked and everything that was oh, before all right yeah that's yeah. a great scene that's a great little right like, I still love looking at that scene like how did they cut that because it's a perfect like cut of her right. going looking at the chairs that are moved out and then she kind of goes to get something and she looks back up and then they're all piled and it's like right. wow that's good filmmaking so, right there and even there's the bit where the uh, Robbie picks up the spoon and they're all bent. And he's looking at them like, what the fuck? These spoons are like, you know, I didn't do that, you know. I and know. then when Craig comes home and, you know, and, and it's like, you know, Joe Beth's almost like she's looking at it like they've won the lottery. Like they've discovered something amazing that no one else has, has ever seen. And they're going to be famous and be on TV where she's just like, you know, honey, you just sit in the X and put on the football helmet, you know, and, and all that whole thing. Where she's more kind of amused by it than freaked out. He's freaked because out. He's like, what the he's hell He's freaked is out, going but on? she's just kind of like, isn't that neat? And he's just kind of like, holy shit. You know, like he's, just, he's just stunned. And she's just kind of like, oh, come on, Carolyn, do it again, do it again. You know, and, and this, you know, and, and she's just amused. And I mean, like, to me, from, you know, what I've read in the past about poltergeists, like in, you know, like information, that's generally what they do. Poltergeists are supposed to be things that, uh, entities, so to speak, that move things like, you know, they move your car keys or they'll stack things. They're an annoyance. They're not a real, you know, thing to be afraid of. They're an annoyance more, you know, and I mean, in the beginning, it kind of just shows that it's just kind of that. Well, that's kind of odd, you know, like, you know. No, yeah, I mean, that's that's also it's it's funny. Like at first, like you said, it's it's kind of quaint. It's like, oh, we have we, what, it's part of nature. Like it's right. we have a weird nature thing, and then it's only when, because then you get like the what was it the earthquake, earthquake like little scene like also the tree, the tree, yeah. the first assault, yeah, 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 the first yeah, assault. But, but it's what's yeah, what's weird about that? Like think about that. This tree grabs the sun, yep, and is trying to eat him. And I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I appreciate you know, father like running out trying to save him, but. It's almost like even after it, it's like oh, it was. It, it was uh, I love the explanation. Like at first, what they're thinking, oh, it was the, the tornado. Yeah. Right. Like, like and what? Dominic Dunn, the the the, young, yeah. the older daughter, she comes out and she's like, oh, it must have been a tornado to just pass by. And I'm thinking, how much dope do you have to smoke to confuse a fucking tornado with a man-eating tree? I mean, like Jesus, Christ. you know, like they're what are they really high? They're like, oh hell, well. I thought the kid was getting eaten by a tree, but I guess it was a tornado. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, holy shit, man. Like, you know, and, he, and he's climbing a tree. You can see that this thing has a mouth, and it's basically digesting his kid. And, you know, right. and it's pulling his kid into this tree, and he's up there all wrapped up in it, and it finally pukes the kid out. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, and the kid's laying there, and he's laying there, and then she comes out and goes, oh, well, it must have been a tornado. We just missed it, right? But meanwhile, their house remains intact, and the girl, right. Carol Ann, she got sucked out somehow through one of the open right. windows or whatever, you know, it's like, God, man. like, I just think that that was, you know, at the time, though, it never really dawned on me when I watched it as a kid. I thought, well, OK, yeah, yeah, I buy that. But now when I'm watching, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, like this. Oh, it's a huge gaping hole as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, yeah I mean, a friend of mine even asked me like like to talk about that like how it's just like what like they almost like pushed that aside like uh he'll he'll be okay right like, right right 
he's like frightened as hell. He's like shaking. Right. And like he, you know, and he, he has like in this one and the second one, which we'll talk later, some horrible things happen to him. Right. That he'll never forget. And, but there, there's that whole like lead up to the tree too, where you know when he's oh. walking outside, and you can almost see the face in it, you know, and when Craig yeah. T's telling yeah. him about counting down the uh, lightning, you know, and the thunder, you know, yeah. he's counting, telling, you know, he's sitting there saying, "Don't worry, son, don't worry, son," like you know, it's going further away, further away, you know, and you just see that tree, or even, even you know, when he's trying to climb the tree when they're burying the the, the canary. Yes. You know, like, there's all the lead up to that. Like, you know, that tree, like, it's just that tree is going to be up to no good. It's just, you know. So you were saying that they go to the paranormal people after that. Yeah, like the three, the three, uh, <laughs> to me, funny group of uh, paranormal in- investigators, which I kind of I kind of pre- I- love the fact that they go there to, to talk to them and they kind of almost brush them off like, oh. We, we, we've seen this thing before, but I just love the scene when they open the door right. and the insanity. Like, And, of course, you know, people, you know, kids today, as I always say, might watch and go, it looks cheesy. No, you know what? Sorry, special effects were a little different in 82. You know, this right. is like first of its kind. And right. I just love how that looks. And they're just like – and I love how it cuts from that to – um, um, the woman just like shaking, like Doctor Lesh shaking well, with tea. I don't want to offend anybody. It. I don't want to offend anybody who's Ghost Hunter fans, but you know that whole bit reminded me of those Ghost Hunter assholes. You know where the guy's talking to Craig T and he's saying, "Oh well, I got the footage yeah. of the can moving on film. It was like eight hours and blah 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 yeah. blah blah." And Craig T's like, "Well, check this what? shit out." They open yeah. up the door. Like, yeah. I know, Holy but that's what shit. I love. It's like, oh, this is what a real haunting is. Right. Like, like you know, right. and I, I think it's also in a weird way, maybe Spielberg again kind of going like for the most, you know, and I don't know how he believes about ghosts and whatnot, but how it's kind of a knock at like those types of people right. that prey on, in my opinion, like a lot of times these people prey upon, you know, Maybe people that don't have hauntings, but like might think they do. Yeah. Like, well, let me you take know, out it, my it, machine to like right. listen to the white noise. Right. These guys walk around a warehouse and then somebody farts and then somebody else says, "Did you hear that?" <laughs> you know, it's just like fucking bullshit, man. It's a, yeah, it's a joke. You know, like I mean, you know that that's just it. Is there's no doubting that the, these people are you know in over their heads. They're beyond you know yes, beyond their league and then they don't know what to do. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, so yeah. The, even- the one, the one thing I wanted to say too also was um I felt a real kind of a Cronenberg influence in this segment of the film too because when um I'll, I'll just call him uh, Martin Short because the dude looked like Martin Short. He you looked know, like Martin one, Short mixed with Cronenberg actually. Right, right, right. But there's the whole there was a body horror bit where you know where he's God. eating the chicken and then the chicken, you know, turns into the maggots, and he's looking at that steak crowing across the the table, and then the the steak gets all cancerous, right? You know. Yeah. And then and then he basically goes into the bathroom to puke, and then next thing you know, he turns his face into salsa and starts, you know, picking away at his face, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like that to me was total Cronenberg. Like I just felt, I don't know why, it just it just felt like that was a real kind of influence from Cronenberg, you know? For sure. Yeah. It's it's a scene that. Even today, watching it, you know, of course, you 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 know it's a fake head. Of course, I mean, oh, come yeah. on. Yeah. But 
it's it's effective because like it's not even a main character. It's mm-hmm. a no. side character that comes into this getting tormented and it's like is it happening is it not but it's gory yeah like you said it's a body horror scene and you right. know spielberg I, we're gonna keep going back to spielberg even though it's a toby hooper film but spielberg got away with murder with the ratings oh yeah, oh, yeah. and which is why well, pg-13 came about the one thing i wanted to say too in the beginning when we were introducing you know the first film is that the thing that really strikes me about all three films and the thing that I, and, and this is going to sound really bad, but and this is kind of an M.O. for Spielberg, too, because he, he's done this before, is that, you know, I love seeing films where kids get messed up. <laughs> <laughs> As a teacher, so, I can understand that. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. Okay? Don't get me wrong. Well, what I'm saying is like, you know, they really put kids in harm's way in all three right. films. And, and no, Spielberg right. did it in Temple of Doom, too. I mean, holy shit, man. Temple of Doom. It's gotta be ma. You know, it's like, hey, you know, like, come on. But, yeah, they, they really put kids. They don't really, you know, pull them back. The kids are right in the fray with all of it. And, and you know, and for you saying, like, with the PG rating, not, not even so much with the face pull, but just all of the shit, like, you know, the kids getting assaulted by the clown, the tree, like, all that stuff. These kids are all getting fucked up, man. And it's like, whoa, like, you know. It's it really it really pulls you in and makes you realize that all bets are off. Like there's nobody that's kind of immune to this. Like everybody's going to get it, you know. And, and it really makes you kind of committed to the whole the whole film because it's like you know, and it's almost like, and I and I, I don't want to say there's a sexual element to it, but it's almost like this kind of like weird kind of pedophilia thing where it's just like you know. You know, it's like they don't want to go after the adults. They want to go after the kids, you know. Well, yeah, especially the youngest, the the angelic, you know, Exactly, exactly. She's pure. pure. She's the purest of all of them. Yeah, Yeah. right, right. The pure and the uncorrupt. And, you know, he wants to go specific. They want to go specifically after them. And it's just like, you know, if you didn't know any better, you might think Michael Jackson was involved, but he wasn't. But anyway, no, I'm just saying that, you know, but, um, you know. It's just this whole this whole thing about like I'm saying like the kids are right in the mix, and 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 it's like it's almost it's one of the reasons that I really loved that other that film you know who could kill a child, oh yes, you know and, and it's just like you're thinking oh, they're not going to go there oh yeah they're going to go there <laughs> and it's just like wow and it really draws you in because it makes you feel like there's no rules, there's no rules nah. there's no there's no morality it's it's just it's just you're in it man like that's it you know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's something. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to see kids getting killed in movies, but at the no, same time, I, I like it. I mean, I like it if if a filmmaker or the production team has the guts to go, look, we're gonna like even something as you know cheesy as Pitch Black, you know, right. Riddick. Three kids get killed in that movie mm-hmm. for no reason. Like they're not bad kids. Like they are, you know, religious, you know, Muslim kids that are going to Mecca. And they get horribly murdered, like by these aliens. And you're like, oh wow, like I didn't, <laughs> I did not see that coming. Like even a film like that, or to go back with like you know tormenting children, like even Hooper did it again with Invaders from Mars, right? And it's got some crazy stuff in it, you know. And I I, I, I appreciate it because I you know again, like I, like you guys, I think to myself, these kids are never going to be normal. Right, and I think it, it's a balance. I think it's kind of a balance because what it is really to me 
is that, of course, it's a fantasy film. Of course, you know, you're supposed to suspend, you know, belief to a certain extent. But at the same time, right. it also has to be real. It also has to be, you know, like it also has to be grounded in reality. And I mean, if, if if all these things, terrible things happen and the kids happen to be sleeping at their friend's house when all this shit goes on or the kids happen to be a million miles away playing somewhere when all this stuff goes on, you're like, come on. Like, you know, it really pulls you out of the film. And I think that, you know, by making the kids, um, making them susceptible to harm, um, you know, it really kind of grounds that reality, too. And again, I, I, I'm like with you. I'm, I'm not into seeing movies where kids get killed. No. But I'm just saying that it adds to the reality and it really balances the fantasy and the reality of it all, mm. if that makes any sense. No, definitely. I mean, and and that's, again, like, you know, we have two out of the three children being tormented. Like, it's the older child, you know, played by uh, Dominique Dunn, who, you know, we didn't even speak about it, was murdered right. by her yeah. boyfriend. Yeah. At, at, at like when this film basically the, it was the same year as this film that's insane to me like like and of course that's where the curse comes up but it, yeah well, that, no, well all that all that, that stuff's gonna get addressed uh later so yeah yeah that's what right i mean it's it. like it's a, it's just a shame because she had like a spunk to her that i'm like you know again another actress that cut short she was only i think 22 yeah, and it right? should be said joe beth only 11 years older than her when they made this yeah wow i know but and and that's the thing, like with 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 her character, with with Joe Beth, she seems like the younger mom, like you know, but like not by that much, you know. She seemed mm. maybe she had her like when she was eighteen, yeah, like that's okay. But maybe may, maybe they were making that a little like nod, like well maybe she got pregnant very young, yeah, right. and you know that's why Stephen, played by Craig T. Nelson, became a realtor. Right, you know, like you know, like like because he was always business oriented, but I guess he started this business, you know, there. But I don't know. I mean, I'm tr I'm trying to think where we could even go because, like, is I think just, we all love this or film. Do you guys feel? Do you guys feel that she was kind of? She really didn't serve a purpose to me, Dominic Dunn. I mean, I'm not saying no. she didn't do a good job. It's just that it was kind of right. like there was those moments where you know Hooper's like, "All right, go out there and scream. Get out of the car and scream." And she's like, "What's going on?" You know, and then it's yeah. like, okay, you're fixed. You know, and it's like, it, she didn't do enough. Like, I, she was just kind of like, she flipped Sonny off, and then she, you know, and they're sitting there eating breakfast, and like, you know, but she wasn't. She was almost like a like a like a walk on character. Like, she really didn't seem like she served a purpose there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah you could even you could you could cut sad. You know, we're not knocking her acting ability at all, but like, yeah, you could cut her character out completely, and it would not change the movie. No, right, absolutely, right, and that's the yeah. kind of thing I really noticed about it. All right, so let's let's look at uh, Carol Ann basically getting uh, sucked up there in the closet. Um, yeah. The one thing I thought was really interesting was that, like, we we're talking about, you know, how it actually goes back to the Twilight Zone. There's an episode, Little Girl Lost, and I thought this was kind of neat because it was actually written by Richard Matheson, who wrote the original I Am Legend. Mm -hmm. So. I thought it was kind of neat how, you know, there's so many, such a lineage with this film. Like, there was, there's kind of little aspects of different things in this film that um, come from other, I wouldn't say they're, not that they're influenced, but there's just kind of actual threads that tie the original Poltergeist to so many things in the past. Yeah, like, for, sure. for example, 
the other thing I was going to say too was like uh, the corpses, in, you know, in the end of the film when they pop up later on. That reminded me, uh, that goes back to almost like, you know, the work that uh, Robert Burns did in the original Texas Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the corpses a little later, but it was just, there's just so many little aspects in the film that are, are tied to other things. You know, there's an alien poster in Robbie's room. Like, yeah. you know, there, there, there's all kinds of little little bits and pieces if you really see things that are kind of remind you or kind of spark little things that you've seen before this film. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Spielberg, you know, we Spielberg has, has said, like, a lot of his stuff is, ta- you know, not, you know, like you said, not taken. Like, he, you know, likes certain things. So, you know, he loves adventures. Advent- yeah, exactly. He... To me, it's an homage. Like, some people might say he's stealing, but no. Like, sorry. Stealing is completely different. Like, when someone just blatantly rips off a whole idea and you're like, wait. Like, you got away with that? But, like, with him, he's borrowing from little bits of, like, growing up probably. Like, like he watched The Twilight Zone. Like, you know, come on. Right. Of course he did. I mean, everyone watched The Twilight Zone. And that's, you know, sad to say most great sci-fi and horror ideas were done on the Twilight Zone. Right. But then and, there was also, um, for example, The Haunting, the original Haunting. Yes. I, oh. I felt there were segments of that, too, like the boom, the pounding on the walls, like the boom, boom, boom. Like, there was all yeah. that. I mean, you know, there was all kinds of, you know, and I mean, at the time when I saw Poltergeist for the first time, it didn't, none of this dawned on me, obviously. But now as an adult and, you know, after watching, you know, years and years and years of stuff and going back and watching it. I'm not saying that Poltergeist, you know, is an amalgamation of all these other things, but you can see where it kind of has touches and elements of, of, um, of things that came before it. Yeah. And even stuff, like you said, afterwards, evil dead Two. Oh yeah. Raimi takes so much from like, like even from the big headed demon face, oh, to, yeah. like you said, the knocking and like crazy sounds and like, Look, you know, trying to look around where the sound is coming from. Right, right, oh, right. it's but 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 that's what I love. I mean, good filmmakers will watch a film and go, "Holy shit, we've got to take that and then just go even more crazy or whatever way they want to go." And as long as they can do something with it and make right. it original in their own voice, that's all I want. I mean, like with Poltergeist, yeah, we've seen haunted house movies before. And we've seen haunted movie, you know, haunted house movies after, but there's something about this one at the time, you know, in its place that makes it original. And right. no matter what, like even I, I mean, I've I've known people that hate it, you know, hate this film, and I'm like, really? I'm like, do you at least like appreciate it for what it, you know, did for kind of like you know family horror films, you know, like like the scares, but like where it almost it pushes the limit to mm-hmm. what you can see on the screen and like i don't know some people like people call me a cynic but no i like some people are just like the worst when it comes to like certain films where like nope it's it's a spielberg produced film so i'm not gonna like it or like i hate jerry I goldsmith think, music like what i think the problem yeah. is is that they're they're looking at it you have to look at it from a historical perspective and i mean i don't yeah. mean to sound pretentious about it but it's just that you can't look at it from a modern perspective. You've got to look at it from the time that it came out. And, you know, you just can't say, well, I've already, yeah, but I've already seen this and I've already seen that. And it's just like, well, fine. But it's like, you know, look, go back to, the, you know, 
it's like it's like I was saying, you know, about swimming in the sea, right? Like, you know, when you're, you know, you go back to something that's close to shore, and you see how on point it was. And since then, there's been these films that have just swum out further away and further away and further away, and they're just out in the middle of nowhere, and there's nothing there to hold them up, and they just sink. And I think that's that's the real that's the real issue is that. Go back to, you know, the purity, you know, don't go back to everything that's been, you know, cut up and chopped and stepped on. Go back to the shit, man. Go back to, you know, like the source, you know. Definitely. Um, the one thing I wanted to bring up was also when, you know, Steve and Diane, you know, they had the parapsychologists there and they're doing their scientific, as far as we can say, scientific studies. And Steven's OK with that. Steven is as committed to that as he can. But. When Tangina, you know, played by Zelda Rubenstein, is introduced, he's like totally like, oh, she's a hack. Right. Which is bizarre to me. Like, like, why is it that, like, you know, this woman coming in where, you know, she looks, you know, ridiculous, I guess, from an outsider point of view. But his daughter has been taken into, you know, whatever nether realm. And he saw his son almost get eaten by a friggin' tree. But that's weird. I think they do that on purpose. I think yeah. you know. Well, there's one thing I want to say is, um, the one thing that I I kind of we kind of miss was that the one scene that really blows my mind to this day is when they're they're watching the video playback when when they're all coming down the stairs. Yes. And that's an amazing shot when they're all when you see all the spirits walking down the stairs and everyone's like, who the hell are they? And like, who are they? And do you notice that even some of those spirits also wearing hats? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a kind of – and I didn't notice it before. And this time when I watched it, how you see the clothing that they're wearing and the hats they're wearing. And that's kind of a, you know, a continuity that will come on – that will carry on to the second and third film, I think. But you, know, but you can tell that they're old, that they've been there for a long, long time. But I think that going back to what you're saying about Mangina there, uh, Zelda, <laughs> um, I think the thing is, is that, you know, when all the quote unquote specialists first came in, that, you know, they were lost. They didn't know what yeah. the fuck to do. They were just like, holy shit, like, you know, they're in over their head. And then Stevens is like, man, like, if these guys can't help us, nobody can. And then he walks this little, you know, uh, elf, and he's just like, Bro, are you fucking kidding me? Like, come on, <laughs> you know, like you know, you you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna find my little girl, and she's like, yeah, I'm gonna find your little girl. I'm gonna find Cameron, you know. And he says, you know, like he can't help but scoff because these people before had all their gear and all their scientific seismic readers and you know their their video capture equipment and all this stuff, and she just shows up with a little handbag. Yeah. Right. So I mean, and they do that on purpose, I think, to to kind of underplay her, you know, like to mm-hmm. really. You know, if she came in with this kind of loud trumpeting music and, you know, and came in all heroic and stuff, then you would kind of be like, okay, man, like, you know, like these guys were hacks. She's the real deal. But you have doubt about Zelda because she she comes in, you know, and and she just kind of like she's really kind of like petite and just she she kind of comes in and she's just really like she's powerful for her size. She's she and I'm not making jokes about, you know, being a. A mini yeah. person or anything, but she's really powerful for her stature. Oh, absolutely. She comes in, she's large and in charge, and she yeah, gets because, it done. I mean, as soon as she walks in, you're like immediately drawn to her, mm-hmm. and uh, because of how she carries herself, you know, 
Like whenever she's on screen, she's like a general basically, and she owns oh, yeah. she owns every scene she's in. So yeah, she she does command the screen, like like, and which which basically made her career from this like film where she was this like petite you know like little person, but had this like sweet little voice, but can turn like the creep on. Oh, yeah. Like right. like that slight creepiness, but but at the same time, like in this, in these films, she's helping, but she she knows more than she's saying, but she that's what I I don't know that's what I love about uh, her character, how she's introduced, and I love how she's introduced in that scene where you have them come in and then they're waiting, and then she pans into the screen like you know, through the doorway, and you're like even as an audience, we're like, what's she gonna do? Yeah. Right. Come on. Right. Come on. Like, right. what's this little, you know, this little person gonna do? And then she like already knows exactly. Like, well, this is where the entrance is. This is where the exit is. Let's. Right. Come on. Let's let's go. Let's get your little but daughter back. She's almost like if I and and I, I always thought she's almost like Quint. Hmm. Like in Jaws, man. She's almost like Quint. Yeah. You know, she's yeah. she's like. She comes in and she's just like, okay, I'm the one that's gonna, I'm the one that's gonna get it done, you know, and 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 the way she sets it up, it's almost like a Jaws-like scenario to me, like when they rig up the rope and she's telling the guy at the bottom, pull up the slack, and you know, like, and it, it was almost like being on the boat, you know what I mean? Like it was mm-hmm. like they wanted to pull the pull in the big one, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, a- and and that's the thing too. I think because she, you know, she is acting as serious as she can in a role like this. We, we we at first laugh like he does, and at the, at the same time, then we're like, oh, no, she knows what she's doing. Right. Now, there's one thing, too, that I thought was really, really funny, which is kind of a classic moment. And I remember everybody laughing at it in the theater, like even back then when I first saw it, was the moment when, you know, her and Joe Beth are deciding, you know, okay, well, who's going in, you know, when they're going, they're going in to get Carol Ann. And then you oh, know, Zelda yeah. says, well, I'm going in. And Joe Bat's like, no, you're not. I'm her mother. You've never done this before. And then Zelda's like, you're, you're right. right. I have it. You go in. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it's played for laughs. And I think it's 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 uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where I think it's to cut the tension for that moment. Like, okay, there can be hum- just, there, there can be humor even in such a horrible scene, you know. But even at the same time, it's kind of Zelda admitting, hey, you know, I've gone far, but I, I even I haven't gone this far before. Like even even I don't know what's gonna happen. Like you know, yeah. I mean even over my head. Like I don't I don't know what's gonna happen here. Like you know, now the one thing I I want to say, okay, is that you know for the for the budget. And this was a huge budget film for the time, mm-hmm. but I thought that they they used a lot of low key effects to get a lot of pop. Like for example, like you know, you know using lighting lighting and fans to get that whole you know ethereal thing coming out of the out of the closet i mean that those were simple effects but they were so effective you know and oh yeah and like the the, the, like the rooms that they had to create for like you know certain people to crawl up and like and stuff or miniatures i mean it's it's a combination it's again it's even though spielberg Mm -hmm. was just behind the scenes he knows with with special effects, there's a certain amount of computer, but then also you need to have it actually on screen. So co- combining right. them makes it, you know, I appreciate that. In a but film it was like lighting, this. lighting, lighting, and lenses and everything too. And yeah. the whole thing yeah. was was that 
this whole thing about the other side, about, you know, uh, to me, it's like, it's like, it's like a fight, okay? If some guy's going to get into a fight with you and he says, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, you either have to, you know, fight him or you just, you don't. And I mean, and the thing is, what I'm trying to say is that it's like they could have either shown what's on the other side of that door, what's on the other side of the closet, which they, they made the mistake of doing in the second film, or mm-hmm. or they didn't. And you never knew. Well, you never knew. It's like you, you didn't want to mess with it, right? It's like because they always they always left it up to your imagination what was behind, what was on the other side. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of like that threat where, like I'm saying, it's like a fight. If somebody threatens you and you have to act on it, then you know what they're going to do because they act on it. But if nobody acts on it, you're wondering, well, is this guy going to kill me or what? Like you, you don't really know. Like it's always left up to your imagination, right? And I thought that was so effective that they could have went in. They should have showed what, what, you know, Joe Beth going in and what she saw and how she got Carol Ann and all of that shit. But they never did. And to me, that's so much more effective than the kind of Wizard of Oz shit that they went into in the second film. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, what's the, the age old adage? Less is more. Right, exactly. And it's that's true. Right. Yeah, because like my I, imagination went in crazy ways. You know, even as a kid, I'm like, oh my god, what what are they seeing? And also, the whole explanation of why this is going on. It's yeah, they did. You know, they the people the dead are underneath, but it's not said who they are. Right. And I like that. I don't know why I like that more than you know, like in the second and third one, giving a backstory. Right, exactly. To these ghosts, you know what I mean? Like, I, oh, there's an ultimate evil. Like, right. in this, the beast, we don't, right. you know, we barely see it, but, like, we only see that it bites the one guy, you know, Marty or whatever, on his side, and it's like a huge right. mouth, whatever right. that thing is. And you're like, what the hell is right. it? Is it Satan himself? You know, but they don't say that. He's. Well, are, he's, are you guys big fans of uh, Lovecraft? Yes. It's yeah. almost like a Lovecraft type thing where, like you're saying, like less is more. Like it was just that you know there's something out there, but you don't know what it is. And, and then your mind runs on it. And you're going, holy shit. And the way that you imagine it is the way somebody else imagines it. And it's all completely different. It's just to me that that was a way that, you know, they didn't have to run over budget with it. And not just that, but it just made it so much more effective, you know. Oh, definitely. I mean – I'm saying I'm trying to think where we're up to. I, I, I mean, he I don't pulls know. her out I, of the, the the he pulls her out of the ceiling. Oh, he with the ectoplasm, right? <laughs> the pink ectoplasm, which is always yeah. you know been slimed. Fiberglass, yeah. Snotty fiberglass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I love like you know he just brings him to the shower and like this. I don't know. There's, there's few scenes that make me just like give this a little grin of like oh, but when Carol Ann wakes up, daddy, daddy, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, that makes and I'm not even the father, and I feel it. You know what I mean? I right. feel that. I'm like, oh, oh my yeah. loins. <laughs> yeah, you shed a tear. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. but uh, but I love that. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, yes, yeah. they did it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then there's still 15 minutes left. Right. Which which uh, which blows my mind. You know what I mean? Like even as a kid, I'm like, well, what else can there be? Now here's the thing that I that blows my mind, and I mean. And I remember everybody I know who has seen this film says the same thing. Why do they stay in that fucking house? And why do they let the kids stay in the same fucking room? I, 
I know, I know. I mean, you know what? You know the it's it's weird because Stephen is like, let's move, let's move, let's move, let's move, let's move. Like that's his. You know, we'll stay at the hotel. We'll stay at the right. hotel, but I gotta go do my job thing first, and blah blah blah. But I know, like, I mean, I guess because they've believed that they did it's vanquish gone. it, and it got quiet. There's nothing. So even then, I mean, I don't know personally. Like, if if I knew, you know, if there was a murder in my house, and then you know, everything got cleaned up. I don't know. Personally, I would still see it. Right. I, I'm, I'm like you. I, I would want to leave. I'd be like, no, let's yeah. go to the hotel now. You know, like Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy used to do a bit years ago when he'd yeah. say that, you know, the white, white people go into a house and it's just like, get out. And it's like, hmm, you know, I don't think there might be something wrong with this house. And then black people go in there and it's like, get out. Get the fuck out, man. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, it's a nice house. Too bad we can't stay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but you know and it's true. I mean, which is funny because why is that an you know like like Eddie Murphy saying that and that always made me laugh as a kid because I'm like well then why why are black people always the first to die in certain horror films? You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. they're the smartest ones. Right, right, right. right. Like let's right. get out of here. Like, why are we right. staying here? Come on. <laughs> you know now, I. <laughs> I was gonna say that going back to like um, I I talked about earlier that there was another film that came out in '83 the. Um, the Entity with Barbara yeah. Hershey. And it was about a true story based on a true story about a woman who was sexually assaulted by a spirit, a violent spirit that raped her several times throughout her, um, throughout her whole life. And there's moments in the entity. And I don't know exactly what month it came out in 82, but there's moments September, in that actually. film. Huh? It September? says it came. Well, actually, no, you know, what's funny. It says in the U S it came out 83. So, Okay. It was eighty two, eighty three. Maybe they pushed it back a little bit. Okay, but it was so, weird because it was because so there, familiar. There's scenes that are almost verbatim of like her stuck on the wall and getting pulled up the wall, and, mm. in a little flimsy like ninety, you know, and it's almost verbatim with with the scenes in, with Joel Beth getting you know like stuck to the wall and Poltergeist, right? And I was yeah. just kind of like, damn, man, like that's kind of odd. Like I never, I never really thought about that before, you know. Like it's just one of those interesting. It's interesting aspects. Mm-hmm. Well, it's and funny then, then got... like, the next year, Nightmare on Elm Street had that, too. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is yeah, a horrifying yeah. thing. It's a simple effect because I can't, you know what I mean? Like, you look at it and you go, holy shit, that's really happening because they're just flipping the room around and stuff. So right. I'm like, it's, it's so effective. But sadly, nowadays, they'll just, like, CG it. Right. Right, right, right. You know, and like, I, I never even considered a nightmare, too. That it goes back to what I was saying about the horror in the house or the horror being close to home. You know, and that was the whole thing in the early 80s. That's what it was all about, you know? Yeah. But uh, let's talk about the clown. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The, the clown that poor, poor kid, like, he sees it and he puts his jacket on it. And. Yeah, the scene with the extra ending, like basically the extended ending where, I don't know, to be honest, like, you know, watching it yesterday, I I kind of I jumped a little bit because even though I knew oh, yeah. it was coming, it's a perfectly, like, set up shot of him, like, looking and then looking away and then the clown's gone. And you're like, holy shit. And he's looking one way. He's looking under the bed. And I know I did that as a kid when something would oh, be like, oh, yeah. where is it? Where is it? And then... I'm like, okay, once it and and to be honest, I forgot. I'm like, oh wait, it's there. Oh no, and then when it does appear, it's got like the demonic face, right? And you're like, oh 
God. Okay. And and that poor kid. Again, he gets like horribly tortured, and he's getting right. choked. And he's like, ha ha ha. Right. But but right. then I love that he gets his come up and stuff. <laughs> right. Now the thing is, what, what do you guys think about? You think kids today would still be freaked out by that, or would they laugh at it? I don't know. I mean, I I think kids would jump, but then laugh because that's I mean They're that's what cool I, I, I like about the best of horror is you kind of jump and you get that that rush and then you kind of laugh about it, right? You know. But um, I I I, I don't know. I mean, and that's a sad thing. Like I don't know any. Actually, no. You know what? That's not true. Uh, my girlfriend has a younger brother. He's actually he's 16 now, which is kind of funny. But I mean, I've watched we've watched like you know tamer horror films, you know some PG-13 right. ones and stuff. And he kind of just looks at it and goes, "Ugh," you know, gives that "ugh" look and right. and like "ugh, okay." He'll like go away, and, like play like a video game. It's like I'm like really I don't know. Like when I was a kid, like these films were perfect for me. Like you know, growing up and then when I was finally able to watch, like I would sneak, you know, like watching a film like late at night when my parents would be asleep and be under the covers and my black and white TV. And like, and that's another thing too. Like we've, we talked about that on like Criterion Cast too, like VHS, you know, like renting a VHS and how the quality wasn't as good, but it didn't matter. Right. Cause you wanted to see it. You know what I mean? And like nowadays, like everything looks perfect. You could find anything now. And I love that. But at the same time, kids won't appreciate like, oh, what do you mean? Like, I I could find it in 10 seconds on a torrent site or I can rent it it from Netflix or Redbox or whatever. That's that's the one thing where I'm like, well, I don't know if they're going to appreciate like and like you said earlier on, like there was no Internet. So, no, you went in blindly. You know, we went in with these like trailers that were really well done where you just got a smidgen. Right, like a little it's, taste, which is right, what a trailer absolutely. is supposed to be. Absolutely. I know. I, 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 I hate that too. Like to be honest, that is one of my be- biggest pet peeves in Hollywood today. Is let's show everything. Right, you back you there, James? What? Okay, what? He's oh. back. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> no, I was gonna say that you know, um, the one thing is you know that I, I love. One of the reasons, like I've always loved horror movies, man. Like that's my bread and butter. Like you know. Since a since I was a kid, I mean, you know, like I mean, from five years old on, I just begged my parents. No matter how many nightmares I got, no matter how much I kept my parents up screaming at night, I I just had to get more and more and more, you know. And yeah. it, it, you could say the same thing about us with drinking and hangovers. You know, after you get a hangover, you say, "I'm never doing that again." And then the next night, you're back at her again. You know, and it's the same thing. You yeah. know, but it, it's just this whole thing about where poltergeist even now though i've shown it to friends and they'll be like and they freaked out and i laughed they're like i wasn't scared i didn't jump no man like <laughs> that, that no that cloud didn't freak me out and i'm like come on it freaked me out man it freaks everybody out it's okay yeah. you know like it's okay to be scared man it's you know and and i think that's one of the biggest kind of uh problems i have with modern horror one of the biggest condemnations i have against modern horror is that it's not scary anymore there's a difference between gore and, 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 and being scary, man. I mean, now it's more, you know, disturbing than anything, yeah. but it's not, it's not scary. You know, it's not scary. There's not, there's, you know, there've been very few films I've seen of recent years that I thought were actually 
scary, you know. Yeah. There's still some exceptions out there, but yeah, it's not very yeah. often, you know. It it's very rare. Like like a film that actually kind of creeped me out that's come out in the last decade is like Session Nine. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, big that, time, but, big time. But that one yeah. bit when he's running down, he's running down the hall, and all the lights are going off behind him. I know. Oh, yes, man. But that's what I mean. Like, no, I agree 100. percent Like, I'm I'm a horror nut, and which is why I always try to pick out the select few that are in the Criterion Collection. Right. Like, ooh, a horror film? We can cover it. Awesome. Right. Horror. Did but you guys, by the way, did you guys do uh, Only Baba? Not yet. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. The, yeah, that's one I want to do. I, want, I actually like kind of want to do that and or um, Kuroneko like kind of back to back. Right, right, just right. Just to give a little bit of that, but like, but but that's the thing. Like even in, in Criterion, like they, it's not that they snub, you know, put their nose up at horror. But I mean, as a horror fan, I've always had that. Like people kind of going, eh, really, right? Like what's so now, good about horror? Here's a weird thing that I don't mean to go off on, on, on a tangent here, but the one thing that I um, – you talk about Criterion. One film that I actually kind of almost see a little bit of resemblance with, with Poltergeist is uh, How Sue. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I, that was one of my favorite episodes to do because, you know, House – I yeah, love House. But House is, is the same way with Poltergeist where when you're first watching it, you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. And it starts off all light and gentle with all these girls running through the field and singing their little song and going out to the house. And then they're getting in there and then all hell breaks loose. And you're like, what's going to happen next? I can't get any worse than before. Oh, yeah, I can. And then, it, you know, and it's yeah. the same way. With- it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Evil Dead as well. I mean, you're yeah. not even you're not even safe in the house because the house is trying to kill you, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I was going to say. Going into the second assault with, you know, Robbie and Carol Ann when they try to get her the second time, it's like, you know, they've got that vagina dentata closet, you know, and I couldn't I couldn't understand, like, how the hell does the spiritual presence go from being like, you know, ghostly to like hentai? Yeah, I know. With those tentacles. Yeah. Yeah. Coming out of nowhere. I, was like, what I know. The hell? Like, it's, it's like all of a sudden it's like this big giant vagina in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> So I know, it, no, it, it, it's I know, like, it's kind of disgusting, and like, you're like, yeah. oh my god, what, what is that? What is, like, they got sucked was... in before, like she, you know, Caroline got sucked in before. What's gonna happen now? Right, I thought I was watching Overfiend or something. I was just <laughs> like, whoa, man, it's like, you know, hey, don't go there, okay, man. I know you're putting kids in bad situations, but no, don't go there, man. And it's just like, nah, that's too much. Yeah, that, that's but, definitely uh, the bad touch, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. But um, the other thing is, too, let's get into, like, how the ending of the film, where it all breaks down, uh, you know, the whole thing about Joe Beth in the pool, or as I like to call it, soup. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, the pudding soup. Ugh. Uh, and, you know, you guys knew this, the story about how they, they use real corpses, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, I don't Ooh. know how the hell they got away with that, man, because, you know, it's like. If she had a cut on her body or she had any type of open wound, like, you know, that's just that's just nasty. Like, you know, like if you think about that. Yeah, I know. But, but, but I don't know. Supposedly Spielberg was on the set that day and he actually jumped in before. But, you know, if Sp- if Steven Spielberg's telling you to do something, you're probably going to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, like he, Spielberg, I've never heard any like horror stories with him directing. So he's probably yeah. like, oh. Come on, guys! Like, yeah, uh, 
I'll, I'll do it first. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it, like it's from that old, you know, seventies feel. Like you know, they, him and like Ron Howard are two directors that. Well, you know what? I'm gonna show you, I can do it, and if right. I can do it, then you could definitely do it because look at me. I'm like I'm a scrawny guy, so right. come on. And well, to me, yeah, if, if Spielberg's jumping in with like corpses, you know, in mud, I, right. I, I think like then Joe Beth is like, okay, fine, I'll do yeah. it. It's almost like the the little rascals, you know, whenever they'd put on a show and Spanky would say, come on, gang, let's put on a show, you know, <laughs> they just, they just get in there, and, you know, it's like, but I mean, holy shit, like, I didn't think that they could legally get away with that, man. Yeah, it's just I, like, that's, that's like know, some, that's some major street cred right there. I mean, we're going to oh, use, yeah. like, like, we're going to use actual fucking corpses for this movie. Right. You know? yeah. and, and, you know, the thing is, is like, um. If you've seen, like, you know, obviously you guys have seen the original Texas Chainsaw and Robert Burns, oh, yeah. the guy who did all the effects on that film where he, he made the corpses and he made all that bone furniture and everything. And it was so effective, like, in, in the, you know, the original Chainsaw. Like, I mean, it was just amazing the way he, he, he did it all with basically like chicken skin and wires and bones and shit. And I'm seeing this and because Hooper directed it. The first time that I saw it, I thought, well, this is just Robert Burns. This is like the guy that he had, the guy he used from before. But it wasn't. And and, be, and that's what really tied it to Texas Chainsaw for me because when I saw, you know, the corpses coming out of the coffins and shit, I'm going, okay, yeah, I know who this is. This is Robert Burns, man, because that looks just like Chainsaw did. But no, no, this is real, man. Like, this is like – and it makes me wonder, like, if Spielberg used, used corpses, he wouldn't – he didn't use corpses in Temple of Doom, did he? I you know I've never heard anything like that they were real too but yeah who knows now like Spielberg has it a demented side wonder, too right? yeah <laughs> it just makes you wonder right and, and it's just like you know you know how whenever they're shooting the scenes and it's just like you know all right bring in the smoke bring in the lights it's like bring in the corpses you know <laughs> yeah I mean it it I mean I'm it's almost one of those things like imagine if they didn't know they wouldn't do it now they couldn't legally get away no. with it now. Like, no, no, not at all. Not at oh, all. I man. mean, I mean, you had like different horror films and 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 other like even like something like um, like uh, what's it called? Uh, thriller, a cruel picture. You know, they call her one yeah, eye. Yeah. The right. the eye gouging scene is a corpse. Right. Well, That's... there's also um, have you guys ever seen Men Behind the Sun? Yeah. Oh, Ugh. I know. I know yeah, what you're yeah. gonna talk about. The boy. The, yeah, the boy. Actually, yeah, yeah. That's that's another one that I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, you know, that was yeah. the real deal. Like it was, you know. But I just, I just thought for a second when I actually found out that in Poltergeist are real corpses, I thought, imagine being somebody, okay, you know, and you find out that you know, I mean, people donate their bodies to science and whatever. But just imagine sitting there watching a movie and all of a sudden you see old granddad come popping out of a casket, right? <laughs> you recognize them. It's just like, oh holy God. shit, man. Like, he always wanted to be in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> it only happened when he died. <laughs> right. But it's just that, that kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not a very moral person. It doesn't mean I'm immoral. But I just kind of have a kind of, you know, I, I don't think that's too cool, man, using corpses. I mean, it's just, eh, you know. Yeah. No, but anyway. No, I mean, if only they got the sad cards afterwards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah. agree though. Like it's hey, kind of, man, and, and they saved a lot of money, you know, in the commissary, right? You know, like they. <laughs> <laughs> but see, it's one of those. It's so demented, like in the sense that, it, did it need to be real corpses? Right. Right. Like, like, like you said, 
they've created corpses. You know what I mean? Before and after. And they look convincing. Where you're like, is that a real? Right, right, right. Like, you know, watching Poltergeist, even today, I know that. As a kid, I didn't. But now I know that. But they, they, they look great because they're real. But it's like, but did you need to have real corpses? Like, I don't know... Was it because of like was it cheaper to just to get corpses? Right. Let's yeah, just get let's just get twenty corpses. Yeah, that's that's supposedly why because it was cheaper to get real corpses than make okay. them. But my question is, how much money does it cost to make a fucking fake corpse? I mean, <laughs> or are like dead bodies that cheap? You know? Well, how much does it cost well, they, to they, buy a corpse? They probably, yeah, they probably <laughs> got them from Unita. Oh really? You know, ah, it's just a joke. You know, Night, know. Return of the Living Dead. You know, you I need know. a man. I know. <laughs> like really? No, like, yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 just funny. I mean, you know, and, and it's just you're right. Like, I mean, but you, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, you know, run off on a tangent on the corpses thing. But I mean, if you think about it, imagine if they use corpses like in films like Apocalypse Now or like The Wild Bunch or shit like that, man. Like that would have been just, you know, insane. Like it's just. I don't know. It, it, it was probably one of those things that leaked that they didn't want anybody to know. And then right. probably one of the the grips or somebody that was on set probably went, hey, man, you know what? You know, they were drinking afterwards in a local bar and said, hey, guess what? I just shot a movie and they use real stiffs. It's like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. they, they, they wind up uh, leaving the house and uh, and James Karen is standing there shitting himself while he gets blasted by that sonic uh, <laughs> blast that comes out of the house. Yeah. And the house starts to fold in on itself, and they're pulling out. And I love that bit where you know, you know, Stephen's trying to start the car, and he's trying to get. And they're like, "Come on, come on, come on!" And next thing you know, that casket pops right up on the hood. That is, uh, that's just so wicked, you know. Like that's just so amazing. And well, like you said earlier, like and you know, Dominique Dunn is just screaming. It's like, get oh, in yeah. the freaking car! Right? And she's like, "What's going on? <laughs> like, come on! What do you think's going on? You know?" Uh. It's like. And they should have just yelled at her. It's a tornado. <laughs> yeah, I know. It would have been easy. And I, but what I love is it's not like even though it's like the house is getting sucked up, which I love that effect. The whole neighborhood is getting destroyed. Oh yeah. Flames right. and stuff. So it's like, man, I wonder if anyone else died that night. Right. We'll never it's know. Like, right. But the thing is, you know, it's like the first one with the tree. You know, it's like you know, Joe Beth and her husband. They're like, oh, maybe we were just high. But now it's just like, no, nah, we weren't high. The shit's really going down. We got to get it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so like what, a random gas leak or something. Absolutely. So is there anything else you guys want to say about the first film? I mean, what else can we say? I think. Yeah, we've I mean, we've been, we've been it, talking it, about it for like an hour and a half already. So. Shit, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's no. all good. But uh, It deserves no, so, it. Yeah, well, what sure. do you want to do? You want to do MVTs? Yeah, let's go ahead and score this thing. Uh, why don't you go ahead and go first, Tim? Okay, um, my MVT, I guess, was the corpses. I mean, like, that was, you know, <laughs> just the fact that they went that far, that they didn't have to, but they did. I mean, you know, I mean, it just, you know, if you don't know, it doesn't make the film any better, but if you do know, it does, right, okay? Mm. Um, I'll give it an eight. I mean, I really I really love this film, and, I like, and like I was saying, you know, about, you know, the whole analogy about swimming, it's like this film really goes out far enough but then it comes back in in the end. It reels it all back in. It doesn't go so far to the point of where it's ridiculous. You know, it, it doesn't go so far to the point of where it just flounders. I mean, it knows its limitations. I think the film really does. And, and they really tie it up really nicely. And I mean, you know, it, it's just, 
to me, it's a really good roller coaster, you know, not even a roller coaster, but like those good old fashioned carnival spook rides, you know, that you got in the little car and then, you know, and they brought the bar down and you went through and things jumped out at you and then you're finished and you want to go back in and do it all over again. Like to me, like that's, you know, I never get tired of watching Poltergeist. I can watch it again. It's, you know, and it's fun. Yeah. What's your, what's your uh, make or break there, Tim? Um, I would say the first, uh, after the tree. Yeah. After the tree, after the first tree, it's like you either, you're either on board with the first assault or you're just going to be like, okay, whatever. Because that tornado is a huge make or break. You know, it was a tornado. Oh, okay. You know, like, I mean, you're either going to roll your eyes and say, yeah, that's bullshit. Right. Next. Or you're going to just stick in with it and say, okay, well, they don't know any better. You know, like whatever they were high. I don't know. Cool, James. Okay, um, let me think. the The make or break. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like. I agree with that. Like that is a that scene with the tornado, whatever the tree, is like bat, when you look at it now, it's batshit insane. Like you know, a kid getting eaten by a tree, and so many films would have like trees trying to kill or rape people after this. Which you know, even actually, eighty two was when Evil Dead came out. Mm-hmm. He had a tree raping a woman, mm-hmm. you know, like it's kind of demented. But I think that's like, I agree with Tim. It's where you're going to either you're in or you're out. Yeah. Like you're not going to because after that, then every every other assault gets crazier and crazier. So I appreciate for that. The um, the MVT, um, I, I'm going to go with the combination of Toby Hooper and Steven Spielberg, where, you know, Toby Hooper. Before this, you know, did, like we said, Funhouse. And a few years before, he did the TV movie series uh, Salem's Lot. And, you know, of course, the Texas Chainsaw oh, yeah. Massacre. So so you had, like, this guy who was, a, like, a, in the horror world was, like, known as, oh, my God, he makes these, like, really sick R-rated horror films. And then Poltergeist, which, you know, people are like, wait, Poltergeist? Like, PG. Is it going to be scary? Is it going to be? But then with Spielberg and his whole like, you know, family oriented, you know, like kind of unit and like suburbia being scary. And yeah, it, it works because of that. You know, like with that combination, I think I, I, I mean, who knows what happened behind the scenes, but I wish they had done more together even after this, like much more like bigger, bigger tentpole projects. But who knows, you know, what, why that didn't happen. But um, and my score, I'm going to go. Eight point seven five. I oh. adore this film. I love it. I mean, nice. it's one of yeah. It's 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 top twenty horror films, and and most of my horror films tend to be like more on the demented side. This one, it just feels. Well, yeah, to be honest, like I said, it's almost been a decade since the last time I watched this, and right. watching it again, it brought back all the great memories of watching it multiple times as a kid Absolutely. and then as a teen, and now you know at almost 32 years old i'm like no it still got me you know Mm -hmm. the clown thing still got me and i'm not not many horror films that i love can do that what you were saying james about being the you know like how your your taste in horror is more demented this is the kind of film that you can show your friends or people that aren't necessarily into horror so much whereas a lot of the other horror stuff that you and i would be into there's no way we're going to show our friends half of that stuff you know no, when people come over and they see my collection, they they'll look through some and they'll be like, "What the hell?" I'm like, "Don't, don't watch, don't, don't even suggest that movie." 
Human you won't, you won't last. What's that? <laughs> exactly. Poltergeist is something that people, even people haven't seen it, know. They know of, right. of it, and they might think they know what happens in it, but I, I think the ride is worth it. You know, it's a great roller coaster ride where you think it's over. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> There's yeah. much more. Yeah. Very cool. Did you do an MVT, James? I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, the MVT I did was the. Uh, combination of Toby Hooper and Spielberg. Spielberg okay. And Hooper, yeah. okay, cool, cool. I'm sorry. No, cool. Okay. Uh, so uh, for my make or break, I'm actually going to go with the the whole back end of the film. Um, it's basically like this really drawn out, you know, climax, and uh, the movie goes to some kind of out there places, but it works and uh, it's memorable and it's chaotic, which I like, and you know, it's just entertaining. So um, for MVT, I'm actually going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with the atmosphere of the film. Not necessarily just the horror stuff, but the horror stuff and what we were talking about earlier, like uh, the neighborhood, the community, you know, suburbia. Um, and the movie as a whole, you know, one of the things that stands out about this movie for me is how, uh, you know, the music and the overall look of the film kind of work hand in hand with each other. I mean, you have... The cinematography and like the look is like really slick, and then you have, um, you know, the Jerry Goldsmith score, which is great. Uh, it is a bit heavy-handed at times because you know this is Jerry Goldsmith, Jerry Goldsmith after all. But uh, like Tim said, it's comfort music. You know, it hits the spot. It evokes uh, like very nostalgic feelings. So, right. Uh, for score, I'm gonna go with an eight. Um, you know, even going back, I do think it's a classic. I don't think it's a masterpiece by any means, but it is, you know, it's entertaining. It looks good. It's paced really well. Uh, it's very uh, rewatchable. Um, but in terms of, you know, ghost stories and 80s horror, uh, just me personally, I think there were, you know, better films out there that kind of, you know, deal with not just ghosts, but this lingering evil, you know. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever seen The Changeling? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a good one to come out around the same time, like you were talking about, you know? It just mm-hmm. kind of what you said, other films, it just kind of reminded me of that. Yeah. Cool. So that's uh, our epic review of Poltergeist. Oh. <laughs> Holy shit. So Number uh, two, we're like this. Number three, bleh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back with Poltergeist 2 and 3. Be right back. <laughs> What's up, kiddies? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the only show crazy enough to tackle the Brian Bosworth classic Stone Cold. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, We're going to get into Poltergeist 2 and Poltergeist 3. But first, I want to ask you guys a question, uh, Tim and James. Do Do you guys actually believe in ghosts? What are your thoughts on that? Do you want to go first, Tim, or should I? Uh, go ahead, James. Okay. Um, I still can't say what I believe. Like, I mean, with all these ghost hunter, like we said earlier, ghost hunter shit and stuff, that's the worst. Like, they never find ghosts because whatever. But, I mean, I've had weird experiences that I can't explain, like going to, like, uh, an old abandoned insane asylum in um, Ohio when I lived there for a bit. And getting what felt like a punch to my stomach and to my chest, 
and almost being thrown off like a rooftop. To this day, I, I don't say, oh, it was ghosts. I just go, well, I don't know. I mean, it was something. It was mm. either an invisible man or the wind was really, really tough. Yeah. But I have no idea. But, I mean, I'm skeptical, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big skeptic. But it, it, it's, 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 to me, it's cool to think that maybe they could exist. You know, that, I think that's why I like ghost movies so much because mm-hmm. of that idea. But I don't – even with something happening to me, I still don't know if it's possible at all. Yeah. Right. You know. Tim? Well, I, I don't – to me, and Aaron and I talked about it briefly before, but – um, I believe in, in kind of essence that kind of seeps into an environment. It's kind of like radiation. I mean, there's there's places around the world where really bad fucked up shit has gone down. Like, for example, like in Cambodia and the killing fields, you know, you could walk through there and you wouldn't even have to know anything about the history of what took place in, in that area. And you feel it. You feel that something bad went down here and you don't have to know anything. It's just like there's places where really, really bad shit has gone down. And it's almost like an energy that is kind of absorbed into, into the ground. And like I'm saying, it's almost like radiation. Like, And I mean, people have said the same feeling. Like I've talked to people that have been through the death camps, you know, in Poland. And I, and I know people been through like Civil War reenactments in some of the places where the Civil War has taken place. And they've felt it too. And, and it's and these are mixed people. These are not the same people that know each other. People are they feel nausea, they feel tired, they feel exhausted, they feel drained, they feel like they can't move. Like there's all these kind of feelings, right? And and it's nothing that they see, and it's nothing that they hear. It's just this kind of like it's almost like a like a magnetism or some type of uh, thing that's in the ground. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So that's what I really believe. I really believe that. There is some type of energy that remains or some type of, you know, resonance that that remains because um, if this was just one or two people and these aren't people that go out looking for this stuff. These aren't like the ghost hunters or anybody that's going out trying to find evidence. These are people that are just kind of happen to be going through these places and then they're like, oh, shit, I don't feel well. Like, you know, I got the flu or I, I feel like I want to be sick or I feel dizzy or I don't feel right. I don't know why. And then they leave these places and they're absolutely fine. Yeah. So I don't I don't know what that is, but you know, again, like James says, you don't know exactly what it is, but there's something there. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, I, you know, a lot. Of, some of the listeners out there may know, but uh, I live in Hawaii. I grew up. I haven't lived here my whole life, but I grew up here. I was raised here, and then I'm living here now. And uh, there's a lot of you know ghost stories and urban legends here. Um, you know, and as for me, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I want to believe in it, but I'm very skeptical because I've never actually, you know, experienced anything that I could, you know, say 100%, you know, for sure that it's not necessarily a ghost, but it's something that defies logical explanation, you know? Because, you know, just to give you guys some kind of history, uh, you know, some history on you know the ancient hawaiians or whatever we have these things called uh here called heiaus they're like along the beaches and stuff some of them were used as um human sacrifices back in the day like to the gods and stuff you know mm-hmm. and uh a couple of years ago i actually did overnight security at 
one of the hotels out here that was built next to one of those, right? And next to the hotel was this empty space where another hotel used to be. And I've heard a lot of ghost stories about that place. Like everybody I know that's worked at this uh, other hotel that got demolished, you know, they swear up and down, you know, there was something wrong with that place, right? And uh, even employees at the hotel that I worked at that was still, you know, operational, I've heard stories about people quitting because they see shit, you know, that I guess that they be- they be- they believe were ghosts, you know, like they like quit right there on the spot, like you know, I can't I can't work here anymore. As for me personally, I've never seen anything. I've had a couple of you know weird experiences, like I walked into. Uh, the storage room uh, that was like in this convention center that was kind of attached to the to the hotel, you know, you know, just like off to the side. And I walked into the storage room, and it's a really weird storage room because the ceiling is really low. Like you have to like crouch down to go inside. And the first time I went in that room, I just had this, like, this really strong feeling. Like I can't even explain it. Like this heavy feeling. That somebody was right there in the room, like, staring at me. You know what right. I mean? It's kind of like if somebody sneaks up behind you and you can't see them, but you can feel them. Right. That kind of thing. And I've been in, the, in that room, you know, a few times since then. I've never had that feeling again. And I had a coworker who, he was a total skeptic. Like, he told me all the stories when I worked there, when I started there. And uh, he was a total skeptic. And then one night he sweared, like, he sweared up and down. Uh, he saw, you know, everybody has like a lady in white, you know, that's mm-hmm. every like urban legend and ghost story. He sure. swear, he swears like out of nowhere, he just saw like this ghostly woman with this, he described it like detailed too. Like she was young, she was really pretty. She just had like this expressionless look on her face and it was like, she, it was staring right through him. And he said he just booked it down the hallway and that's, you know, that's, the end of that story but huh yeah i don't know like i i do want to believe in that kind of stuff but like i said i've never had any you know any solid thing that i can say oh yeah you know that was it was a ghost or you know whatever well everybody has their own experience i mean you know it's you know you i think i think it's a kind of thing that you have to feel personally to really kind of you know you can't take anybody else's word for it i think you you really have to kind of you know experience it yourself yeah and i also do think uh certain people you know if ghosts do exist i i think certain people are more uh vulnerable to it you know than others Mm -hmm. but well uh, you know uh, you just reminded me of something there was uh years ago on a and e and don't ask me why but uh there was uh a really controversial comedy that came out of England and it was about uh, these, these these two Jewish guys that came back as ghosts and they were haunting Hitler huh. <laughs> and they were going they were going around just like why why did you do this man like you know and it was a comedy and <laughs> it was just like and, it, and I'm just like holy shit man like you know how low can you go man it's just like but I'm just but I'm, the thing that I mentioned in it the reason I mentioned is because you know when you talk about ghosts and the, and the way that ghosts have been portrayed like you know, um television like you know with the 
ghost hunters and all this kind of thing, like it's always like, you know, oh, they're lost souls or, you know, like they're just trying to find their way home or they don't know where they are or, you know, they've been done wrong. They've been done wrong. They want revenge or blah, 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 blah. And then when you really think about it, it's just kind of like, you know, there's this comedy. They're, they, they, and these guys come back and it's just like that's the worst thing you could ever imagine. And then they make fun of it. It's just like, oh, God, you know. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into Poltergeist 2 uh, from 1986. I'm going to go ahead and take the lead. So can one of you guys um, synopsize this thing? Go ahead, Aaron. Sure. So I'll, 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 I'll synopsize it. Let me just find a, a good one for some reason. Okay. The Freeling family have a new house, but their troubles with supernatural forces don't seem to be over. Yeah. That's ba- yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, pretty simple. So directed by uh, Brian Gibson, who okay, he seemed like a director for hire. He did like a What's Love Got to Do with It, The Juror, yeah. you know, Breaking Glass, which is actually pretty good. Yeah, maybe that was yeah. the one with uh, Toya Wilcox, right? Breaking Glass. I think so. I'm trying to remember the, the pump, pump, the new wave Breaking Glass. Yeah, it's oh. like the rock singer was determined. Right, yeah, to... that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Cool. So what this one does is basically um, delve further into the curse that was sort of touched on in the first movie. Uh, basically, it explains everything. Uh, the Freeling family, they move into a new home. And once again, you know, Carol Ann is the victim of these ghostly attacks or whatever. And uh, this one introduces, like, this Native American... Uh, like mythology or whatever. I don't know. A Native American... Uh, what's that? The Big Chief. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a Native American guy comes into the picture by the name of Taylor, and I'm kind of glad they didn't give him, like, a stereotypical name, like yeah. Little Bigfoot or something, you know? Right. <laughs> well, the reason I said Big Chief is just because I was thinking of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yep. Yep. Chief. Chief Bronco. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> speaking of stereotypes, two of the many stereotypes... Um, with Native Americans in films that you'll notice is, one, they're always tapped into the spirit world somehow. Oh, yeah, of course. And, <laughs> two, they're very sarcastic. Oh, yeah. Like, Taylor, for example, he has, he has some great one-liners in this film. And uh, he always says them with, like, this really deadpan delivery, you know? Which is another, like, cinematic Native American stereotype. Right. And, like, there's this Your great... Your car doesn't make you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's this great line where Craig T is like, are you in cahoots with so-and-so? And he's like, I cahoot with no one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, this one picks up pretty much where the first one leaves off. Uh, Zelda Rubenstein's character, Tangina. Uh, she investigates what's left of the, Freeling ho- the Freeling's old house um, after the events of the first movie, which is basically nothing. Uh, there's like this giant hole in the ground. And she makes some... Uh, Interesting discoveries as far as that is that is concerned, but uh, this is where Taylor comes into the picture. He sees um, like this giant hole in the ground underneath the Freeling's old house, and he basically gets some bad vibes, you know. Yeah. Right. So he feels the I mean, need to go and warn the family, you know, that they're not exactly in the clear yet. I wanted to say something in the beginning of the film. Like, did, did you guys get a feeling that it was almost like like a Japanese? Um, kind of um, samurai type of thing in the beginning where Taylor is sitting there with his kind of mentor and the guy gives him his lance. He gives him that stick. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's almost like Taylor's off on a quest. Like he's kind of has to get his legs as a shaman or whatever. Yeah. Like I kind of got that feel. It was almost like a Japanese, like a samurai film, where it's like you know his his kind of elder hands him the sword and says, "Okay, be off. You got to go off and do your thing, or or you know do right, do right by me, you know whatever." And he has to go off. And I don't know. I just I just kind of got a, a little weird feeling like that. It was almost like you know, like a little Kurosawa thing. It was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good call. But uh, you know the Freelings are kind of getting settled into their, into their new home. And like we talked about earlier in the first uh, review, uh, Dominique Dunn had, you know, sadly passed away uh, before this, but they didn't replace her. She, her character is They don't gone. even mention her. Yeah, They don't right. even mention her. No. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she's gone in, in her place, I guess, is grandma. Grandma's living with them. Right. But, uh... Well, that wasn't grandma's house. Yeah, it was Grandma's house. They were living with Grandma. Oh, yeah, uh, were they? Okay. Yolbeth okay. was giving yeah. Stephen shit about having to live with her mom. Yeah, right, because you know he's down on his luck because he doesn't work for that company anymore. So now he's selling vacuum cleaners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, selling vacuum cleaners. Yeah, yeah I'm still going off my notes from uh, when I saw these like three or four weeks ago. So, <laughs> That's all right. but uh, um, Carol Ann is adjusting considerably well, you know, considering the traumatic events of the first movie. True. That is until uh, she meets Kane. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, little girl. Oh God. Now, personally, you, mean, you know, you mean, you mean the Steve, the zombie Steve Buscemi? <laughs> There's, yeah, no, it, he looks like the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. What's crazy is he was in his 60s when he made this movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. He because he, he died soon after. Yeah, but he looked right, like right, he was. Right, right, right. He looked like he was fucking ninety. I mean, right. I think he had stomach cancer. Mm-hmm. So I don't. He was like at this time, so he was really sick. Yeah. Which then makes the role even creepier. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what's really funny is the first thing that came into my mind was, you know, have you guys ever read? You've read the uh, the Stand, right? Yes. I see that guy is totally. He's the walking dude. You know? Yeah. I. Definitely, if he, he's, yeah. he's got that total like that kind of like that really uh, magnetic personality, like that that lead, to me, I saw him as the walking dude. I really did, you know. Mm. Yeah. Not yeah. the Christopher walking dude. <laughs> I'd say no. but he's he's more the Steve, like I said, the zombie Steve Buscemi. Because to me, he looks like he looks like Steve Buscemi about ninety. Yeah, he has that weird like breathy. Delivery. I mean, he's from the stage. Originally, you know, Julian Beck is from the mm-hmm. stage. Right, right, he, didn't, right. he didn't do many movies, actually, which is right. surprising to me because he, you know, it's kind of a weird, ridiculous role, but he sells it for all it is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, singing and, that and, song. Right. Yeah. And can we talk about the the connection between Grandma? Like, we got to set the stage for Grandma when she sits down with Carol Ann and starts telling her about the Shinin. Yeah. You know, when she's, she's sitting there just saying, like, do you see things, Angel? Like, you know, and she's just going into that whole thing. And you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And it's like, yeah. you know, and, and it kind of goes into what I was saying about the first film, about, you know, them trying to kind of expand the whole lore of Poltergeist, you know, and swimming out further and further. And they're trying to, you know, make up it as make up the lore as they go along, you know, and. Mm. And I think it's interesting how, you know, she's drawing pictures of Kane even before she sees him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think we can all agree, you know, that the this doesn't, you know, 
match up to the first, obviously. But this has this one has a few advantages. I mean, for one, Kane. I mean, he is without a doubt one of the creepiest, you know, oh, yeah. horror, horror movie characters ever. Oh. You know, the sight of this guy makes your skin crawl. Not just because of the actor, but, no. you know, just because of the shit he says. Like, you're all going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Is it, and, then, and then he just walks away. Yeah. So, like, which is to me, like, it's kind of funny and also like, ugh. Like, and or I even love, I love the fact that he, he the rain, he brings the rain. That it's yes. just like it's not raining anywhere else. It's except except over his head, you know. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. like when he comes walking in, he just brings the rain, and then the rain's gone, and it's just like Jesus. Yeah. So, uh, long story short, you know, the poltergeist attacks continue in the new house, and you have this new, um, you know, lingering evil in the form of Cain thrown into the mix, and then you know Taylor, the Native American guy. And uh, Tangina try to help the family, and that's basically it. There you have it, you know. Yeah. Uh, right. Now, one of the recurring themes with the Poltergeist movies that I like is that they take things that um, people would normally take for granted, and they try to make you afraid of them. Uh, which for right. me, which for me is one of the keys to you know an effective horror movie. I mean, for example, in the first one was the TV, you know. Right. I mean, of course, it's presented in like this absurd. Uh, like non-realistic manner, but the idea is that the TV is a gateway to, to and from the spirit world, you know. And then, with this movie, it's the phone. Mm-hmm. And then the, in the next movie, which we'll talk about, you know, when we get there, is the mirror. Right. Right. So I, I was almost about to say that it's almost like the whole trilogy is like, you know, luddite, you know, like anti-technology. But the mirrors, okay, yeah. But the, but for the first one and the second one, the telephone and the TV, it's like there's nowhere you can run. It's just you know, mm. technology's going to get you. You know. Like, yeah. And you know, the telephone, if used well, can be effective, especially in this case because there's a children's telephone involved. You know, one that doesn't plug in or work. And you know, it's a common legend when it comes to ghost stories. You know that uh, the children's, you know like toy telephone is going to ring and you'll pick it up and you hear a voice on the other end, you know, it's like this urban legend that goes around to like spook people basically. And it's essentially supposed to be a dead person trying to reach out to you, you know, based on the stories I've heard, you know, mm-hmm. and there's something similar in the third movie, but you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Right. Now, um, let's see. Now the telephone thing it's kind of interesting how it used because it kind of ties into the fact that, you know, children have wild imaginations and they wouldn't be above talking into some, into something like a phone if nobody's on the other end, you know, kind of talking to their imaginary friend. So it's something Mm -hmm. that parents don't think about because, you know, if it's happening because a, you know, my child is occupied. So I'm going to, you know, let them do, do their thing. While I go, you know, wash the dishes or fucking do laundry or whatever their parents do. And then B, it's just my child being silly, you know. So in theory, and I don't know whether this this was intentional or not, but, you know, it's just an observation on my part. But the film is supposed to scare parents and make them think twice when they see their child, you know, talking to themselves or having a conversation with someone who isn't there. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. I like um, how they use it with the with the grandma. Yes, like when, yes. When grandma, you know, it's like, okay, grandma, I'll be a good girl. Okay, I love you too. You know, and it's just mm-hmm. like going, oh shit, man. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, you know, it gives you goosebumps when you think about it too. You know. 
Well, I right, love right, that right. because she talks to her that night, and then she's dead the next day. Right, that's what I'm saying. Is like yeah, she's that's saying great. Like that was that was really effective. And what really got me too was that the next time she picks it up, it's yeah. not grandma. No, because mm-hmm. she automatically picks it up thinking it's going to be grandma, and then it's like you're not my grandma. And it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I was waiting for. Um... For some reason, because it was the year after uh, Nightmare on Elm Street again, like a tongue to come out. <laughs> but they're not that creepy, I guess. So, but uh, I actually I appreciate the fact that you don't hear the voice, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? You could easily had like, okay, like be good. No, instead, it's again Heather O'Rourke as a child ha- having to act like she's having a conversation, which is really right. hard for a lot of people to do, even like. Grown up, grown ups like actors. Like a lot of times, it doesn't look convincing. Mm-hmm. And then for her, it's like it's a little girl talking on a playphone. You're like, I don't know why, but I I believe that she was talking to her grandmother and then something else. <clears throat> for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, um, there's a gag in the movie, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, where a mirror comes into play, and this is something that's further, you know, explored in the third Poltergeist, but uh. The scene I'm talking about is one of the more memorable scenes uh, or moments in this movie, and it's when Robbie is basically attacked by his own braces. Oof, yeah. Wired. Yeah, you know, dating back to like when I first saw this movie as a kid, this was one of the scenes that always stuck with me for some reason. I never had braces too, which you know, which is the weird thing. But um, like one thing that bothers me in movies is anything that has to do with teeth. Oh yeah. You know, it like, knocks me out too. Like like an old boy when you see the teeth getting chipped. Yeah. Like, oh. Or even the famous, is it safe? Is God, it safe? Yeah. Oh, it <laughs> freaks me out. Yeah. Like oh, Marathon Man is amazing with that. But <laughs> I agree. I teeth, anything with teeth or eyes. Yeah. Gets me. Like I, I'll even if it's alluded to, I'm like oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. yeah like, like to this day, the only scene in a movie that I absolutely cannot watch. Like I can't even listen to it, you know. Like I, like the sound bothers me is the curb stomping scene in American History X. Ooh, oh yeah, yes. yeah. That's a bad. And it's funny. Here's a connection to Poltergeist too with eyes is that there was a film that Zelda was in called Anguish. Yes. If you ever yeah. get a chance, check. That's a weird little film, and she's in that, and it's uh-huh. it's all about eyes. It's 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 a, it's a meta film, but it's kind of neat. Yeah. But uh, the braces scene is really effective because, again, you know, it insti- it instills this idea that, you know, even someone's braces on their teeth are fair game. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it, all bets are off. You know what I mean? And he's yeah. up there and looks like he's in a giant Brillo pad stuck on the ceiling. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. And you know, it's it's funny that um, while that's happening, you know, again, Stephen Correcting Nelson's trying to save his son and screaming for anyone to help him and. Joe Beth is trying to hold it from going to the electricity, but the, it's funny that the electricity is the thing that gets him out. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know what I mean? I thought, oh, wait, because uh, I had forgotten about that. I'm like, wait, that's how they, what? It almost seemed like an afterthought. Like, well, we don't know how to end this, you know, turmoil. Yeah, so what are we going to do? Uh, Okay, he's out. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like it, it seemed like a wasted opportunity. Like, if they wanted to go really horrible like they might have killed him off you know what i mean or something mm-hmm. something bad you know like the tormenting but i guess the whole 
learning to be a warrior was something that they wanted to do with both son and father, you know? So, uh, just to talk about Zelda a little bit, the late Zelda Rubenstein, uh, there's a funny scene in the film where Jo Beth Williams hears a knock at the door and she looks out and no one's there. Oh yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden she looks down and she sees like tiny little Zelda standing there and it scares <laughs> the shit out of her. <laughs> and uh, it should also it should also be said that uh, her and Heather o- O'Rourke were the only people to appear in all three films as well. You know, which is you know, little little right. trivia. Now her her character isn't as stern and militant in this one as she was in the first. She's a bit more sympathetic towards the family, you know, whereas in the first movie she basically, you know, kicked down the door and said, Let's do this, you know, so Right. Um There was one thing I wanted to say about Zelda too mm-hmm. is that when she's explaining the origin of Cain to Jobeth. Yeah. And and there's a bit in there where she's talking about uh Oh, these people were, you know, going out west and they were massacred by Indians. And I'm thinking, you know, I just expected Taylor to pop up and say, "What you talking about, Willis?" You know, like, <laughs> right? Like, like what? what do you mean massacred by Indians? Like, what the hell? You know, like, <laughs> no, it's just, you know, there's just that bit, and it, uh, it was funny, and, and it confused me too because in the original film, don't they say that the haunting is because of the bodies from the graveyard? Right. Because they weren't like but, the graves were moved, but not the actual bodies. Right. The, the but buff, in the second right. film, they're saying that it's not even that. It was the people that were under, buried under the ground in that little cubby hole with uh, Cain, the whole cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, so, so it the, really seems so like. It, it, and is it's it weird. Or it's or the same writers. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it weird that it's the same writers. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of the drawback where you said even earlier where you keep adding on and adding on and after a while it falls apart. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like, like I like the character of Kane, but maybe if it was something completely different, you know, like an, another film entirely, like if this right. and part two and part three were something else, like, I don't know, like whatever you want to Kane, you know, whatever. But that's why as poltergeist films, they don't work. No. You know what I mean? Like with the name, like, like I'll still always say Godfather three is a horrible Godfather movie, but as a like a crime movie, it would be it would be better if it was called something else entirely. Right. You know, like uh, without that not, mindset. Not another of Godfather movie. <laughs> That's what they should have. They, don't don't say that. You might have um, those guys that make epic movie hear it out. Like, oh, let's let's do that one. Yeah. But 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 yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's confusing. It's like, well, there was another yeah. grave site underneath the graves. Right. Like what? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Was that was the beast supposed to be Cain in the first one? Right. Exactly. I don't know. Exactly. I mean, why is he talking now? Like, why? Why is he able to walk around wherever he wants to? Like, as this preacher, you know what I mean? And people see right. him, but then others don't. Well, that was the other thing too. Was that you know? Um, I didn't want to get into it too far, but I mean. When Zelda pushes Diane and she says, come yes. on, shit or get off the pot, you know, like your mother had it, your daughter has it, you've got it too, and you don't want to admit. And then right. she's like, well, admit what? It's like, come on, you know, like you've got it, right? And she should have known. I mean, like, I mean, maybe I'm we, maybe I'm splitting hairs here and being a bit too geeky, but in the shopping mall when Carol Ann sees that Kane is bad news, Diane should have picked up on that. Right. 
Yeah. She should have known. Like, hey, man, this guy's bad fucking new. Like, I'm getting bad juju off this dude, too, man. Like, you know, like, she should have known. And she's just like, oh, he's just this old man and like, whatever, you know. And, like, and and I think maybe it's they could argue and say, well, it's because she denied it for so long that she doesn't have the shin in. It's not as strong in her as it is in her daughter, you know, or whatever, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, I guess it's the whole point of, like, she, you're not supposed to know that she has it, too. Right. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And right. that's like the surprise. Like, oh, she does have it. And that's the only way to save her daughter. Mm-hmm. I right. don't know. It, yeah. it seems tacked on, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, whatever. I mean, that's why it's the Polterge- it's Poltergeist 2, the other side. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by Cuervo. <laughs> well, I, I, I wanted to talk about that. Like, if well, there's something on. I learned. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to okay. that. Okay. Good, good. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, just kind of finishing up my notes here. The last 30, of the, 30 minutes of the movie, um, give or take, are batshit crazy. I mean, all fucking hell breaks loose. We have a possession, a flying chainsaw, uh, some great creature effects, a vomit monster. Um, but, you know, aside from being batshit crazy, unfortunately, you know, this movie kind of jumps the shark as well. I mean, Poltergeist 2 has scary moments for sure, but... It also gets really silly in spots, especially towards the end. I'm not going to get into spoilers, but when the Freelings do what they have to do to save Carol Ann. Right, right. Um, you know, <laughs> I was expecting the Fonz to, himself to show up and kind of wink at the camera. Hey. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, James, did you want to talk about that vomit monster? <laughs> Please. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate people were on Twitter were like, oh, my God, I remember that. It's... It, if there's one thing I learned from Poltergeist 2, it's that you never drink the worm at the end of a tequila bottle because right. you'll be possessed by an evil preacher skeleton man. Um, and you'll cough up a used condom. Well, yeah, oh, <laughs> disgusting. And like you'll no before that you'll be you'll become very rapey. Right. Like like it's it's, it's a weird scene. It, it's just, the, yeah, ugh, disgusting. It's. Uh, like and but the funny Craig T. Nelson has to play it off like he is Kane, and he does right, a pretty he good job. He has, like him too, you know. Yeah, you're gonna come with us, and he starts going yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But going right. back to what you said, Diane again, it's like she's acting like he's just acting weird. Right, and she should she know. Should yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah, it's, but, it's bizarre. Right, and it's kind of weird how you know the the big used condom thing goes under the bed. <laughs> And then the next thing you know, it turns into what I call the uh, demonic Rasta turd, because it looks like a big fucking turd with dreadlocks, you know, when it grabs Craig T. And it's just holding him up, and he's just like, and then it's gone, and then it goes into the ceiling, and it's gone. And it's just like, what the hell, you know? Like, And Stephen, Stephen blows smoke on it. Isn't that right? Because yeah. You, there's yeah. a scene before where he's in the sweat lodge with Tyler, and Taylor takes a big haul off that pipe. And he takes a big pull, and then he, he gives him a fucking power toke. He gives Craig T a big power toke, and Craig T takes it straight up his nose. And then when he gets attacked by the Rasta turd, then that's when he starts – he blows he blows it out. He finally exhales, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, it feels like this movie – it's like, well, let's see. We'll, we'll take stuff from the first Poltergeist and then mix it with the Manitou. Right. That's what I was saying about, you know, <laughs> swimming further out to sea is that you're getting further and further away from the beach. You know, you're getting further out and you're just treading water. Right? It's, it's just funny. Yeah. And the, the, 
<laughs> the other thing I wanted to say, too, was when you talk about the power tools, I was expecting to see uh, Tim the Tool Man come out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so bad. I mean, but I, I kind of like the fact that it's batshit insane because, like, you can tell we don't know how we're going to end this film. We don't know what we're I doing. Know. Not to spoil it, like you said, like That's, earlier, like not not how not how you know how they deal with, you know the uh, the zombie uh, Steve Buscemi there, they're ostracized in the end. But the whole thing is, you know, like I said with the original Poltergeist, you know, it's kind of like getting in a fight where if somebody says, okay, well, what are you going to do? If you show them what you're going to do, they're either going to be impressed or they're going to say, that's it. It's like when you actually have to back up what you say, then you either got to deliver. Or you're gonna look like an asshole, right? And, and, and you know, with the first one, you just see the door, and that's it. But with the second one, you know, they go for a right. little further, and it's just kind of like, really, really, like, oh shit, man, like, come on, you know, like, I don't know, I and and I I just felt it, it, it was kind of almost, and, and you know what's funny is uh, what you might call it, uh, Army of Darkness does the same thing. Yeah, you know, with, like, with like jumping, going, going well, even beyond. Yeah, right. But the end of the end of Evil Dead Two, and then going into that whole, you know, going through like all that, it's kind of like really, like that's it, like that's what that's what you're gonna do. Okay, well, whatever, you know. But I'm just saying, like, what we were saying about the first film is less is more. Whereas in this one, it was kind of like they're throwing everything in the fucking kitchen sink and then some, you know. And it's just, you know, yeah, some of it works and some of it doesn't. Right. We're going to throw this shit on the wall and throw a big giant roster turn on the wall and see if it sticks. And, you know. Yeah. Cool. Well, the last note I have is um, kind of going back to, you know, you know, say what you want to say about the vomit creature, but at least it was practical effects, you know. Well, yes. I, and the one thing I, I wanted to say, too, also about is, you know, it's it, the person who finally puts it to bed is the guy – who's kind of feeling like he's less of a man, if that makes any sense. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Craig, T., you know, he feels like he's kind of, you know, he's been clipped, you know, like he feels like he, he can't be a father to this family anymore. And, and you know, and, he, and he's drinking hard. Yeah. Right? Cause he's he, like, he's all wound up and he's just like, fuck, what am I going to do? Like, you know, and then he's the one that it's not, not, not to give a spoiler. I mean, the film's old enough, but you know, it's not, Taylor that, that that does anything. It's Craig T. He finally gets his manliness back. You know, he gets his groove back mm. by taking care of what he needs to take care of. You know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but that's just what I saw in it too. You know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, something worth mentioning. H.R. Uh, Geiger was a conceptual artist on this. You could tell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> um, specifically, when it comes to the vomit monster and another scene right. that takes place. Um, not too long after that, when Joe Beth Williams opens a like a broom closet and all the, these ghastly faces come jumping out at her, you know. Right. Well, like, there was that. There was that also the bit when she gets pulled in the ground too. That nightmare sequence, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, that's all I got, guys. So. All right. You guys want to add anything or? No, that's good. I mean, to be honest, we all. I was chiming in with my notes. Okay. And- yeah, let's just go to it. Cool. So I'll go ahead and give mine. Uh, my make or break, um, it's the scene when Kane is introduced, and he, he basically corners Carol Ann and starts talking to her. 
that scene really bothers me. It's really fucking creepy. And it's, oh, yeah. dur- it's during those moments when Kane like, epitomizes every disgusting pedophile out there who preys on children. Yep. Oh, yeah. You know, even though it's not the case at all with this guy, but still, I mean, he just has those vibes about him. And it's also a make scene because it's pretty clear that this dude is evil, you know, and when he shows up, you know, and he he goes after the family, they're going to be in trouble. So, uh, MVT, I'm going to actually go with, well, I don't know. Because after talking about it, I kind of changed my mind, but I'm just going to stick with my notes. I'm going to go with um, continuity, not in terms of the plot, but just in terms of like the overall look of the film. It has a very consistent look with the first movie, despite it being um, directed by someone else, you know? Mm-hmm. And this really goes a long way with me when it comes to sequels, because one of my pet peeves is with, like, sequels and, like, franchises is, like, inconsistent, um, you know, like, aspect ratios and shit like that, you know? Right. But, uh, yeah, it's shot really well, you know, the aesthetic is similar, you know, we, well, the, the, the one thing you talked about consistency that was kind of funny was there was the bit when um, Joe Beth Williams is thinking about her mom mm-hmm. and when they they planted the roses. Yeah. And you see the little the little Joe Beth Williams and she's got the same poodle hair that she does when she's like a, an adult. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny that she had the same blown out perm that like the little kid and they just they tacked the same <laughs> hair on her. And I thought that was kind of really like, you know, yeah. consistency. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, also we have the original cast members back, which is always crucial, you know. You can, to me, I can watch the first and second one, second movies back to back, and there wouldn't be too much of a, like, a distracting difference between the two. You know, other than the fact that, you know, teenage daughter is gone, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Score, 7.25 out of 10. I I think it's a really well-made, technically uh, proficient, fairly well-acted film. Um it's just kind of hard for me to hate on this movie with Kane in it. You know, I mean, he's so memorable. Um, is it on the same level of the first poltergeist? No, not exactly, but I think it's a worthy sequel. So yeah, kick it over to one of you guys. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll basically say, um, my MVP and uh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. Uh, NVT was, Zombie Stu Buscemi, man. Again, Kane, mm-hmm. and you know, he was he he just he just freaked me out, man. It's just like the whole they they nailed the guy, like he just you know like, and it's it just coincidentally he dies like you know months later or, or you know even not even that before after they shot this thing, it was just incredible. Yeah. And uh, the make or break the moment for me was even in the beginning with with Taylor, like when it starts off, you know, on this kind of reservation or whatever. And you're like, wait, what the hell? This is a poltergeist film? Like, come on, man. Like, what's it like? This is almost like, you know, like Manitou, like you were saying or something like it, it just seemed like where are they going to go with this? Because because it was just something that wasn't you couldn't connect it to the first film at all. And it just, it just seemed like it just came out of nowhere. Like, it just seemed like a completely different film. So when you start to watch that, it's like, okay, well, let's see what they're going to do with this, you know. And I, th- I think I think it was smart because I don't think that, you know, if it just kind of replicated the same way that they started the first film, you know, with a TV or a phone or some type of thing. It would have been like, okay, well, I know what I'm in store for here. But because they started it off the way they did with Taylor getting his lance and, 
you know, with his uh, elder just saying, okay, you, you got to go off and deal with some bad shit that's going to go down. It kind of, you know, told you, well, they're going to try to approach this at least from a little different way. So I thought it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. James, did, 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 what was the score? I didn't, oh. Did you... oh, I'm sorry, sorry. I forgot the score. I'm sorry. I, I, I'll give this about a six. Okay. Because, I don't know, it, it's just like, to me, the reason that I I give it a lower score, obviously, is like you said, it's not you know on par with the original. But also, the original had this kind of rhythm to it where it kind of, you know, went big and then it pulled back and went big and pulled back and went big. Where this was just like money shot city. This, this film was just like, you know, just, they just threw everything they had on the screen and... You know, it just to me, this one had a really kind of a weird rhythm to it. It just it didn't didn't have that same type of vibe that the first one did. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Let me go right into make or break. I'm exactly where you are, Aaron. Like the introduction of Kane uh, is still a creepy scene. Like yeah. no matter how batshit insane this film is, like that scene alone is just like, ugh. like, I, OK, I have to go take a shower now. Like, I feel creeped out. I don't know why. I mean, he's not saying anything creepy. He's just talking. But it's the way he's, you know, the words are coming out of his mouth. It's like, ugh, okay. Kane is someone to watch out for. Um, MVT, I'm going to go with the practical effects, um, especially the uh, the Geiger-influenced um, squid, like, like you know, fish monster. Yeah. Type, and especially when he... I, I just love when he smiles and she knows exactly it's Kane's face. Yeah. <laughs> which which has his big teeth come out. Yeah, what'd you call him, Tim? Rostaturd? <laughs> yeah, the big well the big giant Rostaturd, yeah. Like the the, the, the monster, the entity. You know. <laughs> and it just, it just looked yeah. like a big giant Rostaturd, man. It's just you know yeah. it, it reminded me of a little bit of Clash of the Titans in there too, I guess, but you know, it's yeah. Well, actually, remind real quick. It reminded me of um, Frank in Hellraiser when he's crawling, yeah. you know, around. I'm like, ugh, like right, it's right, squishy, right. very right. squishy. And, and that I, came out the also, year after. Right. Also, there was the bit when he when he's when Stevens, you know, coughing up that used condom thing. It reminded me of uh, the Hidden. You ever seen that film? Yes. Yes. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it reminded. It totally reminded me of the Hidden, where those guys were just coughing up that big loogie of a, of a rotten thing, you know, and it was just like, yeah, it was, it was effective for the time. I mean, like, you know, now we can, like, again, like I said earlier, from a historical perspective, if you look at it from the time, those effects were pretty top notch and now we can scoff, but you know, it's, you know, at the time it, it was pretty, pretty bang on. Definitely. And, uh, my score is 6.75. It's, it's a high 6.75. I, I kind of agree. It's a, it's a good sequel. You can't match the original. I kind of liken this one to The Exorcist 2, where you had to just go yeah, crazy. Exactly. You know, I, I love The Exorcist 2. A lot of people hate it. I love that it's crazy because how you how are you going to go to that? It, you know, like like The Exorcist was a film you can't match that. So let's uh, have um, a tomato come out of James Earl Jones's mouth. Right. Okay. That that that'll that'll make you go what? So same thing with this one. Just the way with the Exorcist too, how they kind of connected everything back to Africa, and it's like, well, wait a minute, how do you go from Washington D.C. to Africa? And then it's just like there's such a tangent, and you just have to run with it. It, It's just like you know, it's implausible, but you just have to run with it. And it's the same thing 
where, like I said, with, you know, for me with the beginning with Taylor, where you're just kind of like, wait a minute, man, like this isn't, you know, dances with wolves. This is Boulder guys too. Like what the hell, you know? And then you got to follow it. Definitely. Cool. All right. You guys ready to get into three? Let's do it. So <laughs> James, you're going to take the lead on this one. Uh, yeah. Do you have your IMDb open, Tim? Uh, let me uh, see here. It's, it's okay. I can go ahead and synopsize it. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. So, Poltergeist 3 from 1988. Uh, synopsis is... Carol Ann is staying with her aunt in a high-rise building, and the supernatural forces that have haunted her previously follow her there. Yeah, that's about that's about it, actually. Hmm? Um, yeah, directed by Gary Sherman, who... If you're not oh, familiar with Gary Sherman, ooh, yep. love yep. love that guy. Love me like, some Gary, man. Love me yeah, some Gary se- Sherman. Seriously, like Dead and Buried, you know, oh. Raw Meat. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. those Vice two films were Vice Squad. Yeah, I mean, yep. Christ, like he is just a great director. And oh, yeah. it's weird, like Poltergeist three, even Wanted Dead or Alive, he did the, right. pre- oh, that's the, the what year I, before. It, it, yeah. I was just about to say that too. It's funny, you know. Yeah, it's it's bizarre, and you have a film that right away you're like, um, okay, well there's Carol Ann. Okay, you know you see her right away, and you see this old guy that's you know washing the window, and you're like, oh, wait, is that Kane? Oh no, it's not. Oh wait, it is. And like like, but right away you, the problem is Kane is played by someone else. Right. It would have would a mm-hmm. bad like makeup job. Yeah, to look like you know Julian Beck, <laughs> yeah, and that's the ironic. How many times? How many times have you ever seen a film where someone's actually died and they've replaced them with another person trying to be them? The only time I can think of it was uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space. Okay. During when, the, you know, yeah, right during filming when Bela died and they had a guy that actually just covered his face with a cape. Right, that's the only time <laughs> I can ever think of when. They actually had somebody die and try to replace them with another character, man. It's just, you know, you can't do it. Yeah. And what's ironic is you have this dude in, like, makeup, and he's still not as scary as, like, the real dude with no makeup, you know? No, exactly. I mean, actually, I'm I'm trying to think of, like, films that, like, went from one to another. And maybe, like, Dumbledore (laughs) and Harry Potter was Richard Harris. That was one, yeah. That and was one. And then he died. You know what I mean? And it makes sense why you would have to change. Right. Obviously. But, but in that case, you had two great actors playing a role. This one, I don't even know who played Kane, like, at all. I didn't even care. Like, Nathan Davis was the actor. I, he, he, supposedly he was old, too. Like, you know, he, he was supposed to be, like, around 80 right. with this film. It looked like bad makeup, though. Right. Yeah. Like so, that's so already one, telling you something's wrong with that character. One thing I wanted to say about the casting was there's there's a guy in the film that was named Richard Fire, and I thought, man, <laughs> I thought that that's the best porn name ever, <laughs> Dick Fire. Dick Fire. Well, it's Dick funny because because and then he's named Doctor Seaton. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like the whole time I'm like, wait, is that is he gonna be the evil one? Like Dick Fire is Doctor Seaton. Yeah. Maybe Rob Zombie saw this and like Doctor Satan. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's funny with that character. It's almost like he really is—he really was a psychiatrist because he had that droll like, "I don't believe her at right. all. She's mass hypnosis." I'm like, 
They're all what? being manipulated by yeah. this little girl. Well, what ten-year-old right. do you know that has that power at all? Right. Right. <laughs> like in, in in a supposed real life, you know, like setting. I don't. Whatever. But but I kind of like like I love this cast though. Like you know, Nancy Allen as oh. Kat, Tom Skerritt <laughs> as Bruce. Mm-hmm. Ooh, like that right away I was like, yes, Tom Skerritt. Oh, non Nancy Allen. Mm. Oh, Nancy Allen. She still had it, man. She still had yeah. it. Yeah. She still. I mean, for her age, she still looks fantastic. Yeah. She's aged she well. I mean, big, big, man, big time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Growing up, I was like, from even yeah. RoboCop, I was like, oh man. Oh yeah. Short, short hair and all, but yeah. and then you have Lara Flynn Boyle when she actually had meat on her bones. Right. Yeah. And she's 16 in this too, which is really freaky. It's like, wow, she's like a baby here, but. You know, and then soon after did Twin Peaks, you know, and stuff. So if they shot it a little later, she could have played Kane. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, Men in Black and She was too. so she anorexic, man. It was like she was just like a stick, you know, like, ah. Oh. It's sad. Yeah, with certain actresses, you're like, you look great. Like, why did you lose all that weight? I mean, I understand Hollywood, but, ah, really? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That always makes well, me the- sad, like, when people lose their curves and stuff. Uh <laughs> God, one but, thing I wanted to say too was, you know, the beginning when Carol Ann's sitting in the uh, in her room in the bedroom and the guy's washing the window, all the thing, the first thing that came into my mind was, well, we're moving on up, moving on up to the east side. You know, like the shit had just played the. It's like the Jefferson. I was expecting George and Weezy to come walking in. You know, it's like, hey, Carol Ann, what's going on? I'm like, no, it was just, how did she wind up in this this giant, you know, like Trump Towers? You yeah. Know? Yeah, it it's, it's yeah, it's really bizarre. Like it, it, it was the sign of the times too, because Poltergeist three came out. What was it, eighty eight? And two years right. later, even Gremlins two was set right. in a weird high rise. Right, right, right. Like the thing of the future. Like okay, but Tom Skerritt is like the the manager or whatever of the the whole building. Which you know, when you it, said the thing of the future, that reminded me of. Uh, when Nancy Allen's on the escalator in the beginning of the film, it reminded me a bit of RoboCop because there's a voice that comes on and it says, we like to think we are a city taking you into the 21st century. Like it was that whole automated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's something that they, I mean, it hasn't really caught up to that kind of technology yet. I mean, some right. places have something like that, but they always like put it up a notch like, oh, this will be the future. No, it won't be, but whatever. You know, whatever, right. whatever, what can you do? But, um, you know, it's sad, like, you know, Carol Ann going to school and, you know, being tormented by her, by her, you know, classmates, like, oh, ghosts, you know, like, it, it, it's, and, but I like that she takes it on the chin. She's like, whatever, you're a bunch of idiots, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. And then, but which, which is what I like. And Heather O'Rourke in this, you know, in this version of Carol Ann, she's great. Like, she's like, kind of like smarmy. You know, she has that like what what a ten year old or whatever would be like. You know, kind of like what, yeah, yeah come on, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I love that. I mean, it's cute. I mean, and she plays the role really well. And you can see that, which is weird that she has like a a speak and say or whatever, whatever that's so called. What is this? Speak, speak and spells. Speak yeah, and spell. Yeah. Like yeah. you you're supposed to be like a brilliant girl. Why do you have a speak and spell? <laughs> Right, right, right. Like, like, you know what I mean? That was a bizarre choice. I guess they needed something to sound creepy. 
you or know, maybe like they thought that, that was going to be the conduit. They, they, maybe they wanted people to think that that was going to be maybe. the means, you know, through Cain was going to come through the speaking spell. That could be it. But I like the use of mirrors in this. And I like the whole, throughout the whole film, the dreamlike feel where someone's like in a bathroom and then, be it Carol Ann or someone else is talking and then they look and they're gone. And then they're about to talk. It's it's a bizarre feel. Like you never know what's really going on. Yeah, they, they use mirrors really well in this because they don't use use them in a way, you know that other movies use them like the whole fucking you know open the cabinet you know in the mirror and then close it and somebody's there fucking right, gag. right. uh instead yeah. this one shows you you know that the reflections are like tweaked like a tweaked version of reality mm-hmm. right. and that and that the mirrors are picking up you know i guess the other side for lack of a better term you know right you know and that being said there are some pretty amazing special effects in this i mean you know whether you like the movie or not I mean, some great practical effects. I mean, how they do the mirror scenes with doubles, um, you know, like similar sized actors on the other side just to kind of mm-hmm. like this bogus reflection. Yeah, I love that stuff. Like those those effects always look good because you're like, wait, so what are they filming? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what, you know, and, knowing, <laughs> it's creepy knowing she died when you when there was the first initial bit when she looks into the mirror and sees the old reflection of herself when she's wearing the jumpers, the red jumpers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and she sees herself as the old Caroline. It's, it's like that's kind of creepy knowing that she died like not long after that. And it's just kind of like, damn, man, like, you know, and I like the water aspect of the mirrors, too, where the mirrors mm-hmm. almost were like mercury, you know, where they could actually come through the mirror and grab at her. And he's like holding on to her. I got you now. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, another thing I wanted to bring up was how, how do you explain Tanjana coming back and she's just having tea and she spills and goes, I feel a presence. Oh <laughs> man, that was the worst bit at all. Like she was <laughs> like, oh God, she was so fucking wooden there. She's you like, know? he's found her. He's found her. Oh my God, I have to go. I have to go. And she just finish, gets up and walks away. Like, yeah, finish your tea. It's like, there goes that Tanjana. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> you go, man, Jana. Go. <laughs> But it's like okay, it's okay, almost okay. like, well, I, I, what I love is what what I heard about that scene is like her friend is probably like this happens like at least three times a week. Yeah. You know, like she just goes off and tries to save some little girl. But yeah, I mean, it's the most no, it's asinine like the, way. Like the Lassie thing where the kid gets caught in the well and he's like Lassie, you know, and Lassie comes running. It's like Mangina. She comes running. <laughs> oh my God, she's not, no. But but I love like she's on the plane and she's calling the the right. you know the psychiatrist yeah. teacher, Doctor Seaton, and he's he thinks it's a joke like oh it's right. it's it's her again it's Carol Ann um but I actually wanted to bring up like that the one scene before that was the great scene with the mirror shattering with the coffee cup oh yeah you know and it's and it's like the zombie hand comes up and th- right. But he, what I love is he's looking back and forth, back and forth, and you're like, even as an audience member, you're like, well, what's, what's gonna happen? Because it's not really happening, but is it? But then I like he blames that one, um, that one woman for shattering the glass. Uh, yeah, the guys watching the observation dudes are like, well, yeah. they got, she got you to break it, right? They're yeah. like, oh, no. <laughs> it's bizarre. It's a bizarre thing. Like, oh, it's it's your fault. 
Like it's you. You're you're the one that did this. I'm like, what? Come on. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's he's a dick. Like right from the get the get go, oh, yeah. you're like he's even when he's like, don't forget the cilantro. Right. To his wife, or whatever. He's a, he's a guy, man. You, you just want to see him get punk so bad, you know. You just want to see him get his, you know. It's just like, you know, it's like okay, you pompous ass, man. You know, you, you doubt, you doubt, you doubt, and you know that you know it's gonna pay off. You know, you know you're gonna get yours, right? Well, and and that's the thing, like. People when you know when you go into a horror movie, you're thinking, "Oh, body counts," and of course, Poltergeist wasn't known for that. It wasn't known for a body count. It's just known right. for scares. But this one actually has a body count, right? You know, like this one actually has people dying, which I'm like, "Oh, wow!" They finally said, "Well, let's make it more like it's almost like a slasher film at right. points." You know what I mean? Like with you don't know who is being Kane. Or is it by Kane or by someone else? It's, it's, it's very confusing. Like at points, like you know, like when someone comes back, you know, like without ruining for people. But when someone comes right. back through, is that person actually them? Are they? But right. then who's the other one? What? Right. You know. But um, I don't know. I mean, I I like the whole like, well, let's sneak You know, like someone else's character. Let's right. sneak off and do a party. You know, like in the yeah. pool. Like a pool, speak, like on. Speaking of dying, man, I'd die if I walked out of the house with some of that hair. Holy shit, man! I mean, <laughs> that was the uh, when uh, Nancy Allen's doing her gallery show, and there's the African American woman helping her out. And between yep. her and the African American yep. woman, and all the other people at that that gallery opening, it's like I'm looking at their hair, and I'm like, "What? Did you get free chicken with that bucket? Like, holy shit, man! <laughs> like, you know." The hair, I, I forgot how bad the 80s hair really was. You know? it, it, and even, it was bad, yeah, bad for the environment, too, because all the hairspray. Oh, yeah, and even that kid, the poodle boy, that's who I call him, uh, the guy that's uh, big on Laura Flynn Boyle. The, 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 turns into the popsicle poodle boy. You know? <laughs> I know. Well, I think his real name is Kipley Wentz as Scott. <laughs> Kipley, Kip, yeah. So, Kipley wow. Wentz. So. You have Dick Fire. You have Kipley Wentz. Kipley Wentz. God. <laughs> but what? I, but I. Like, the, tell me, tell me that kid didn't get his ass kicked at school, right? Seriously, <laughs> seriously. At least, at least Dick Fire was like, "Hey, what's up?" You know? Hey, man, I'm Dick Fire. Like, <laughs> this is my friend Kipley yeah. Wentz. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, Kipley Wentz. I, I don't know. Scott. Scott is. See, that's the weird thing about Scott. Like. He comes in, he's like, oh, I, I like her. And then, you know, they're kind of having a little rapport with each other. And then they try to save Carol Ann. Carol Ann is running away because Kane is trying to get her. Like, we, that's, you know, he's trying to get her. She's running through the whole place, and they see her on the camera. And right. they, they they all get sucked through Right. This the, the other side, like through a puddle, which, again, uses the whole reflection, you know, mm-hmm concept of this movie which i'm glad they kept it going but it's i just laughed my ass off when he like you said he's a popsicle he comes out and he just looks like he like the end of ghostbusters he had like marshmallow fluff on him right and he's just like oh so cold but then he's melted like then it's all melted like a second later and then uh and then uh scarrett looks like an ass because he's like yes well he just he just walked across the ice what ice He's like, yeah. Oh, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, God damn it. Like, Scarlet's like, damn it, you know, I'm going to go back into space. But, yeah, exactly. I don't, but yeah, but I mean, I, I, I like that you don't know. 
because and then he at first of course is like who's this you know like when when tangina comes into play like right away while while um they think they hear carol ann screaming through the door that her room oh, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. i i kind of like that because it's just really funny that tangina just comes just like walks through the door don't oh, yeah don't get her that's not her and it's like Right. Uh, that was the only time, man. They they should have just punched Mangina flat right out in the head, man. Like she she deserved a punch right in the face when, you know, like they're sitting there holding on to her and she's just standing back and being casual and they're just almost like getting sucked in. And then finally when they, they pull, you know, they pulled away and it's like, Well, that's not Carol Ann. You should have known that. You know, like she's looking at them like, What? I knew that wasn't Carol Ann. What are you guys fucking stupid? Like, come on, you know, like and know. it's just like Shut up, man, Gina. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 hysterical because of that. It's like really, like then why don't you tell me? Like, oh, you only knew because you saw the wrinkles on her face. Right. Well, she stands That's... back and she waits about five minutes to see them struggle and shit to tell them finally to let go. Right. It's like she could tell them right from the get go. Right. You know, it's like, don't touch her. She's not Carolette. No, I'm going to sit back and have a cigarette and file my nails and watch you guys just sit there and get pulled in. Right. And then finally, oh, and by the way, that's not Carol Ann. Right. And, Jesus. I, I think it's a knock. I think it's like a uh, it's a reference to the second one when she's saying that to Joe Beth Williams right. character, like the sister you know, and how, like, well, why didn't you know? Like, you should. You have the power. And then, right. of course, I guess the family, the whole family has the shinning. They all right. have it. And Yeah, yeah. But for some reason, both both daughters decided not to embrace it. Right, seems right, very, right. Seems, seems very convenient. <laughs> that, like, oh, we all got it. Cool. Right. And speaking, speaking of Mangina getting her face punched in, she certainly <laughs> does, but it's in reverse. <laughs> oh man that that is one of the see but again like aaron like you said earlier it has some great special effects because she turns into a husk and then <laughs> larry flimboyle just rips out of her and i'm like okay i didn't think i was gonna see larry flimboyle rip out of zelda rubenstein what the hell like what movie can you say that yeah not many <laughs> <laughs> but i love that and i mean again it's it's another film that feels like they didn't know how to end it. And of course, with Heather O'Rourke actually dying while mm-hmm. the film like was, you know, while they were trying to do reshoots and like trying to get the ending, right. they had to redo the ending completely, which is why, you know, we never see her face. You know, it's kind of sad because, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, it, it I, you know, I don't want to say much about what happens, you know, like with, with my notes, I, I'm kind of crossing stuff out, but it has that ending where you're like, Wait, you wanted to make a sequel? Because it ends mm-hmm. on a note where you're like, "Wait, what?" And mm-hmm. that confused me. It's like to me, yeah. it could have just ended. Like, like you didn't right, need right. to throw in the uh, the canned laughter of right. any like horror movie. Like it, it, it right. felt like a very cheap, especially with Heather Rock dying. It felt like a very cheap way to kind of go. Well, maybe we'll do a sequel of this one. And luckily, I mean, I you know I enjoyed this film, but luckily it didn't do well. Because right. then you didn't have a Poltergeist four, you know. No, but back you again. got you had the legacy. Well, I've never watched it. Isn't it like loose, like loosely based in the sense that it's just a name? <laughs> oh man, God. as loosely as the Amityville is, yeah, yeah. Like all those oh. movies, like yeah, it's so loose, it's not even funny, man. Well, like I always say, Amityville four is the best one because it has a killer lamp. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanted. 
I wanted to say one thing without giving away a spoiler, but I, I thought that the doctor screamed like a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You know, uh, that's what, he's like, yeah. <laughs> It's like a little girl, man. That was awesome, man. I actually, like, to go back with that, without saying what happens, I rewound that scene five times last night. Oh, I did, too. I did, too. I I was like, this is great. (laughs) You little bitch. You know? Yeah. Or or the other one, too, was Mangina in the Water. You know, when she, oh, yeah. you know, she knew, that was weird, man. It's just like, you know, that, that reminded me of, like, Terminator 2, where, like, Liquid Mercury, you know, it's just kind of like... <laughs> Out comes little man giant, and she's like, "Here, take this. I gotta go." <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, it's gone again. You know, it's again, it's another convenient scene. Like, here, here's my necklace. Right. Bye. And, and the, <laughs> the the other thing was too, not to give away any of the ending of the spoilers, but it's like, you know, for a guy that had as much power as he did, mm-hmm. for that's all he wanted to do. You know what I mean? Like, it's like at the end, it's like, that's all he needed to do was just like, okay, that's it. You know, and then that's it. Like, you know, it's like, why, why couldn't he have done that in the beginning? If he had all the power to do all that shit, why couldn't he have just done that? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the whole concept of, yeah, I know what you mean. Like Dr. Seaton supposedly gave him the power. Again, it feels like a Nightmare on Elm Street type thing. Right, 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 right. And, and it like, goes back to power, reminding people and reminding right, her right. of him. Right, right, right. Very weird. It goes back to like again, like I and I don't mean to keep reiterating it, but it's like I was saying about the first film, where like I said, like it was such a they created such a mythology with the first film and such a solid base, and then with the second film and the third film, they just swam further out to sea and they just kept making it up as it went along, thinking that they could support themselves on it, but it wasn't strong enough, you know. And I really think that the second film, yeah, it was it was okay because they had enough of the first of you know elements of the first film. But the third film, man, it was like they were way out in the middle of nowhere on this one, and I just felt like it it, it was just really they were treading water until you know, and no no pun intended, you know, no treading puddles. Let's just say that they were treading <laughs> puddles. Yeah. Definitely. So you guys want to give uh, your uh, MVP? Actually, actually, I got a, I got a few things I want to run down real quick. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I like that the buildup in this one is very gradual and kind of ominous. You know, like it starts with like the the cracks in the in the walls or whatever, and it's not something that comes out of nowhere. Nowhere, uh, which is good because because of that you can kind of almost watch this like as a standalone film without being too right. familiar with the first ones. Right. I mean, although I can't imagine why anybody would do that, but still, you know. And, and um, it kind of shows that he's building energy. Like it, it's not like he has the energy from the beginning. It, it shows that he's building. It's building like the the like I said, his power. It's not like he he's full on from the start. It's it's you know like you said, it's a slow burn. But in that way, it kind of shows he's building the energy. Mm-hmm. And um, earlier I mentioned something about the in the last review. I mentioned something about the um, the look and the feel of the first two uh, films being similar to the point where you could basically watch them together or whatever, and it wouldn't feel too different. Uh, whereas this one is shot like in a different aspect ratio, and it almost gives the f- gives the feel of a movie that takes place like in another universe. I don't mean that literally, just you know another you know movie world, I guess. Mm-hmm. Where as opposed to um, kind of carrying on the story of the first two, even though it does, uh, but at the same time it is kind of appropriate because, and I'm sure this wasn't intentional or whatever. But because of the new setting and the new cast, it kind of brings to mind a film that was more or less 
uh, just tacked onto the first two with common threads tying them tying them together, uh, rather than it being like a continuous part of a running storyline. And uh, you know, also the music is very different too because uh, Jerry Goldsmith didn't come back for this one. And you know, Jerry Goldsmith, his music is very uh, you know Jerry Goldsmith basically. It's very sweeping. Uh, you know, whereas the music in this one is kind of synthy. So uh, it kind of adds, like, a different sort of atmosphere to this one. Um, I'm not going to get too much into the Poltergeist curse, but I'll just mention the names. Uh, Heather O'Rourke, uh, Dominique Dunn, Julian Beck, Will Sampson, uh, all of whom died within, you know, a few years of making the Poltergeist movies. Uh, Heather actually died while making the movie, should be said. Um, I remember seeing Part 3 in theaters, Back when I was a kid, I was uh, seven years old when it came out, and I went into it with the knowledge that uh, Heather had died in real life because he got covered, like you know, on the news and on Entertainment Tonight and all that shit. But I couldn't quite comprehend like what it meant at the time because of how young I was. So I'm I'm sure I thought that maybe like she actually died in the movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. which was a bit disturbing to me at a young age, to say the least. But uh, yeah, if anyone wants to look up the story, you know, you can read all about it on like IMDb and Wikipedia and all that. So that's kind of the same way I feel like whenever I watch The Twilight Zone, thinking about Vic Morrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, where he died on the scene. I mean, like, yeah. they, you know, and it's holy shit. Like, you know, and it's like it's just it really brings uh you know a real somberness to the film and it really as much as you enjoy it it's still in the back of your mind that well somebody somebody passed in the process of putting this out you know it's just mm-hmm. yeah yeah but yeah that's all i got uh when you guys want to get into your scores hey, I'll, I'll go into mine because i okay. went first um let me think make or break i mean make or break it, it's weird it's a weird film because i like it but it's almost a break, but even from the very beginning, I like the scene where you you see you know the 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 old man who again looks like a creepy old man. But once we see Kane and what he looks like in this one, and no knock on the actor, but it takes me out of it. I'm like, oh, you didn't really have to show. Like to me personally, you didn't even have to show him. Mm-hmm. Like you know, what I mean, like they could have done like like if someone did a good voice version of it and then just like through it you know like maybe if you had different people kind of kind of like you know like films like you know the first power with lou diamond phillips where the evil guys you know going through people's bodies to talk like you know and i i kind of like that better but it's it's a wasted opportunity for a film that's just bizarre you know and i mean it's it's it, to me it's almost a break because of that it's right in the first minute if you're familiar with the second one it's like, oh, wait, right, Julian Beck died. Oh, and that's the guy that got... Oh, really? Yeah. And like I said, it looks like a bad makeup job, and it's probably not. And that's even worse, you know, yeah. but... So it's a shame. But um, my MVT, um, I, I mean, you know, I, I actually like all the actors, like the, the ensemble cast. Like, you had, you know, Heather Rock doing a really great job. You had Nancy Allen, Tom Skerritt, Lara Flynn Boyle, Zelda Rubenstein coming back, and the great duo of Dick Fire and Kipley Wentz. Um, <laughs> Kipley Wentz. <laughs> Kipley Wentz. Um, I like, you know, I liked all of them in their own ways. Like they all played off each other well, and and Tom Skerritt just telling 
Dick fire uh, Dr. Seedon to like just shut up, you know, like like you don't know what you're talking about. Right. And like, yeah, Tom Scarrett would have stash and all. You gotta listen to I was that. expecting him to, to crack him, man. I was just yeah, expecting seriously, yeah. just punk him out, man. But yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But um I'm like I said, I like this film more than I thought I would. Um again after watching it so many years. I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a six. It's a solid six right. where it's the lesser of the three, of course, but in an alternate universe, I wish this had another name and it would be like this weird like cult classic yeah. of like of like, yeah. oh my god, this is a weird like film like on in a in a high rise with ghosts and stuff and like weird special effects, but instead it's the lesser of the poltergeist films. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'll go next. Uh for my make or break, it's really hard to think of a make or break scene for this movie because, for me personally, nothing really broke it. But then again, nothing, you know, there aren't any super memorable moments in, scenes in it, you know, either. So I could really just go with anything. So I'll just go with, um, I don't want to say who, but there's a certain doppelganger that shows up and this person, like, rips part of their face off. I really like that moment in the film because. It's it's such a weird moment that feels like it belongs in another movie, like Hellraiser or something like that. Definitely, you know, it does. So yeah, I'll go with that. You know, I also like the very last shot of the film where lightning strikes the, you know, hits the top of the skyscraper. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's my make or break. Um, for MVT, definitely the special effects. Uh, for score, I'm gonna go a six point five out of ten. That might seem kind of high, yes. but I actually like this movie. Um, you know, for what it is, it's, I think it's a pretty good film, uh, despite what, uh, fake Shemp says. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's okay. He's, he's, I, know, he's... I know, I know fake Shemp hates it, I know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, for what it is, I think it's a pretty good film. Personally, I think it's a much better sequel than it, that it has any right to be, you know? Um, mostly because of the cast. Uh, I really liked, uh, Tom Skerritt in the lead role. And the filmmakers really take advantage of the setting. So, yeah. Tim? All right. Well, I guess I like to say I'll call this one my uh, make or break one off. And for me, that would be Nancy Allen. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you know, as soon as she came on the screen, man, it's just like I wasn't taking my eyes off the second, man. I, I, you know... I don't care. Like you said, even RoboCop and you know all the way back to Dress to Kill. I don't know, man. That that girl was just a cool glass of water to me. Yeah. And she was she was always just I don't know. Like I just I just liked her. I mean, even when she played the bitch in Carrie, you yeah. know, I I liked her back then. You know, mm-hmm. it's just you know. But um, I'd say too, uh, the MVT for me would be uh, all the poodle hair. You know, <laughs> all the, all, oh, oh man, it's just like you know. With all the hairspray in that movie, like, holy shit, man. It just knocked out half the ozone layer over North America because it was just, like, poof, unbelievable. It's just so funny. Like, that's the one thing. Like, you know, we were talking about looking at things from a historical perspective. and But that's always, you know, it's never the effects that always pull me out of the movie. It's always the goddamn sweaters or the hair that just pull me out. I'm just, I can't stop laughing. It's just it's just funny. Yeah. Um, for, the, for the score... Um, I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna go as low as Fake Shemp, but I'm gonna give this about a four, because um, it just really, to me, again, it, like you were talking about, you know, wanting it to be in a different universe, you know, and wanting it to be a different entity unto itself, you know, 
to me, again, it, it's just so far away from the shore. It's just so far out to see this film that it just I just can't connect it with the, the first two. It, it just it's just too distant to me, aside from the fact that, you know, Mangina's in it and Heather's in it. And, you know, um, and also I, I thought it, it was really a bad move on their part to uh, try to get someone to duplicate Julian Beck. I thought that was kind of really I understand why they did it. I mean, for, you know, continuity and for, you know, the sake of the film. But I just thought it was, you know, they, they should have known, like, people are not going to be that stupid regardless. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the average, you know, movie watcher is going to know, like, hey, man, this is not the dude. It doesn't even look like the dude. He's like, maybe it's the dude's brother. It's like, you know, you had Kane and then you had, yeah, you know, I don't know, Keith. You know, <laughs> right. like, like, he's not. just like. The, the Undertaker. <laughs> Right, yeah. right, right. It's just you know, it's, it was just it was just insulting in a way, you know, that people are supposed to buy. Oh yeah, that's the dude. Well, how come it's not the dude, man? It's like, oh, he wanted too much money, you know. It's like, no, he's dead. You know, it's like, you know, he didn't turn down the role. He he croaked, you know. And then they're gonna try to replace him with somebody else. It's just, you know, I mean, imagine if they did a remake or a, you know, a sequel to like, you know, Fistful of Dollars and Clint Eastwood dies, and they just get another dude in a poncho or something. You know, you'd be like, what the fuck, man? Like, come on, you know, it's just, it's just insulting. And I mean, I know this is a minor thing and it's a minor film, but it's just to me, regardless of the budget of your film or anything, it's just there's things you can get away with and things that people are going to buy, and then there's things that are just like, no, 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 no. Like, it's just, it was just too much. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, shit. <laughs> That's it, everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I don't know what to say. That's the Poltergeist trilogy. There you have it. Uh, Tim, I want to thanks. I want to thank you again. Uh, it's oh, been a pleasure man. talking to you. You're natural, dude. Why don't you start your own show, yeah, man? man? Shit. Oh, Jesus. Oh. <laughs> Go on. Go on. Oh, man. You guys are awesome. Uh, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this, you know. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, you know, it was kind of a chore to sit down and watch the third film, but <laughs> I, I dug into it, man. I, I dug yeah. into it, you know, and I, I sucked it back, and, you know, it was hard to chew, but, you know, I did – took one for the team, so to speak, and, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, you know what? To tell you the truth, I mean, all three of us have seen a hell of a lot worse, so, you know, you can't yeah. go wrong. Oh, yeah. can't yeah. go wrong. Well, we definitely got to do this again. We're like the, the B squad of the GGTMC. Sure. We're like the sure. – we're like the wolf pack to the NWO black and white. Tease a, <laughs> a wrestling uh, comparison. Or uh, life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James, of course, of Cine Awesome and Criterion Cast. I would ask you what you got uh, coming up for each show, but this probably won't come out for another three weeks, so it's going to kind of date the episode. But uh, That's fine, yeah, yeah. I, 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 with Cine Awesome, also, I never know what the hell's coming out because we, we record five shows every, like once a week just so we were backlogged. So we even joke about it in each episode. Like, we, it's number, um, I don't even fucking know. Yeah. So do you have a laptop in your bathroom, man, when you're sitting on the throne and pinching one off? You're sitting there recording? Like, I mean, like doing five five shows in a day or whatever, or even in a week, man. I can't, I can't imagine you having time to eat or breathe. Like, that's... <laughs> well, we, we, well, we do it at Rufus's house. So, like, we, we all take breaks, like, in between. Like, okay... Piss and shit. Oh, I bet break. Emily loves that one. <laughs> I did. Well, usually she's at work. We're all bums, uh, so it's I okay. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks again. Uh, all right. So, uh, yeah, that's it, everybody. Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Take care. Yeah. Adios, everybody. Later. Adios. Later.
Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.